Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I am Joe Stark, and uh, today I'm sitting down with my friend Alberto Lacayo III. Um, Alberto is a, a friend of mine that I met through rock climbing, and he is an inventor and an entrepreneur. Pretty fascinating guy. He's, um, he's into a lot of different things, and um, we get into a lot of topics today that uh, you know previously I didn't know much about. Talk about 3D printing, you know, the process of bringing an idea from a concept to a finished product. He goes on a bit about the virtues of healthy living. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, get, we go into some depth about rock climbing as well. Um, he's an, a very interesting guy, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to him. So um, without further ado, Alberto Lacayo III. Sitting here tonight with Alberto Lacayo III. Uh, Alberto is a good friend of mine. He is, he's a man who wears many hats. Alberto is, oh geez, let's see if we can name them all. He is an inventor, an entrepreneur, a rock climber, a climbing guide, climbing developer, a climbing community activist, husband, and a new father. Did I leave anything out there, Al? There's got to be something down the line, but that I'm smiling ear to ear. I think you about covered it. Yeah, that was great. Man, it's great to sit down with you. You too, Joe. I'm excited. This is, uh, yeah, really just a pivotal moment um, in my life. So I think uh, I've got a lot of good stuff for you. All right. So what have you been up to lately, man? A whole lot of crazy stuff. Um, rock climbing <laughs> this morning in below freezing temperatures. Um, I have been trying everything I can to move a business um, forward um, from home um, with some kind of crazy ideas um, and kind of uh, everything working against me. Um, I'm definitely an underdog um, or a, like a salmon, you know, moving upstream and it's not so easy, um, but making it through these hurdles, it's like I learned something new every time. Um, so definitely that entrepreneurial pursuit that you kind of uh, mentioned earlier. Um, what are a, these products that you're uh, trying to move? Um, the first one we launched was actually just, a um, what the small business development center in this area considered my most viable product, um, because of the ease of commercialization. And, uh, so we ran with it because it was going to be cheaper to get off the ground. Um, but the other ones are what I'm most passionate about. So it's kind of like, uh, um, when you think about sitting on your hands, that's how I feel a lot of times, um, because <laughs> I've got these, um, honestly, they're pretty kick-ass products. Um, and one is for rock climbing. Um, and it allows someone to basically um, bring a universal um, connection or adapter um, required to uh, attach to like uh, uh, stick clipping devices, allow you to hang your first piece of protection from the ground without climbing unprotected, mm -hmm. um, which is really important. And I got tired of carrying a painter's pole. Um, and if I traveled anywhere, you know, um, from state to state, you bring a painter's pole, you're going to check that separate. And I don't know what kind of painter's pole anyone has, but $25 <laughs> is not worth it. Uh -huh. um, so I developed a way to um, basically bring that universal adapter to this, you know, stick clipping device. Um, and all you have to do is marry it with a stick or something you can find, uh, basically mm -hmm. a, a, an extension member um, outdoors. 
And then uh, I'm a wind turbine safety instructor, um, and I'm a rope access uh, level one uh, technician, and that's just through the Industrial Rope Access Trade Association. Um, hope there wasn't too much of a lisp there. That was kind of funny. I've been talking about Tim Meadows, the ladies man, and it's kind of rubbing off on me. Um, but uh, as a wind turbine safety instructor um, and former uh, cell tower uh, worker, um, I like to climb and I decided to make it an occupation. I got scared half to death and I designed something called the angle lock. Um, and basically it's a, uh, uh, it's a, what I consider a technical anchoring device. Um, what's inventive about it is it allows you to um, deploy it with one hand while climbing in difficult situations. Um, and, and as, this is for use in like a tower climbing setting, right? Yeah, tower climbing, um, rope access to anytime you're anchoring, um, overhead anchor um, from I-beams, angle iron. Um, there's a range of other, you know, cell tower structures, um, indoor, large um, indoors and large warehouses. Um, anytime, you know, iron or steel workers are working on beams, a lot of times they use what's called a beam crawler or clamp. Um, and I just saw there's some, uh, they're great designs. The problem is, you know, I feel like uh, it's still pretty bulky, not something that's easy for a technician to carry. Um, and they're not very versatile. Um, so I was just, uh, as kind of the guy who loves making things, I was on a tower, scared to death, um, actually in West Des Moines doing what they called tower modifications. Um, and we are upgrading or beefing up the steel on these towers because coincidentally enough, how, how tall are these towers? I think I was about 115 feet, which isn't, you know, I wasn't, I was a midsection of the tower. So I wasn't at the top. Um, and they, in order to put bigger, heavier antennas on there, go from 3g to 4g and you know, whatever's next, um, as they get heavier and, you know, um, they pack these towers with even more, um, you know, bandwidth. What happens is they need to upgrade the steel. Um, and so what we are doing is just making, um, yeah, we are upgrading the tower to be able to withstand and hold more weight. Um, but what's scary about that is when you're removing portions of the tower while you're still on it and working on it, mm -hmm. um, you limit, you know, what you can anchor from and, you know, operating within OSHA's guidelines while staying tied off and trying to, you know, protect yourself and work and, you know, conduct yourself at height without, you know, going crazy and looking at the ground and thinking, what in the hell am I doing <laughs> is a really hard task. Uh -huh. um, and so in all that, um, this angle lock was conceived. Um, it went from a napkin sketch at a bar after um, that day of work. And about six months later, um, I got a new job in industrial technologies um, at a community college in Cedar Rapids called uh, Kirkwood. And fortunately for me, the 19 programs that were there, just to name a few, um, was computer-aided design and mechanical engineering, advanced manufacturing, uh, welding, and energy production and distribution. So you got the wind turbines, you got the people that design and make equipment um, with digital, you know, digitally on the computers, and then they basically send the plans to the guys in advanced manufacturing shop, CNC's, you know, machines, lasers, mills, um, uh, just so many expensive pieces of equipment that I could never possibly own, you know, at this point in my life. But now you have access to. Yeah, exactly. You know, to some extent, you know, um, credit, you know, well, at least for like prototype design. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally. sort of stuff. Yeah. No, it helped me. I mean, it opened my eyes and I was able to, um, I've always been big about networking and what I realized quickly, um, or early on at Kirkwood was it would take me 20 years to be a, you know, top level machinist. It would take me, you know, four years in college to be able to send wind turbines, um, and be able to work on them. Um, it was going to take me, 
you know, the same amount of time, 10 years to be a, you know, skilled, you know, mechanical engineer, I'm capable of navigating some of these really difficult programs um, mm-hmm. to get where I wanted. But what I had was I had the ideas, I had the know-how on how to connect these dots. And as I started to kind of come to these realizations and see how it actually unfolded, um, I always had this analogy of thinking about lawyers and someone smart told me once, know what you want before you go in there. Um, because if you let them ask the questions, it's going to tally up pretty quick. And so it's just the same way by knowing how something's manufactured or produced. Um, you can go to these companies with specific directions that saves you a whole bunch of time and energy. So by designing it myself, giving the plans to some people that were able to help me actually get you know CAD files um, to send to a manufacturing company, um, then I was able to get direct quotes on what it's going to cost to actually produce this. Um, and now, believe it or not, it's just regulatory oversight um, and uh, navigating things like uh, the American you know standards, um, you know engineers and ASSE. Um, and, you know, a range of other, um, uh, before something could be considered, you know, have a minimum breaking strength that has to be tested. And there's so many that must be tested and, you know, you have mm-hmm. to be able to basically just throw a product out there, you know, and, and have it deconstructed, um, before you can even have a product stamped and say that it meets those specifications. And so it's just, um, you know, for a guy in an apartment in a little hole of, you know, Cedar Rapids, um, it's cool because I'm close, but uh, still, you know, kind of some big things to come. Um, but it's just one thing on that radar. Um, the rock climbing piece um, through additive manufacturing, something I really um, picked up on again mm-hmm. when I was at Kirkwood. 3D printing. Yeah, 3D printing. Um, it really set me back, you know, as far as, holy crap, there is something big going on here. And I've always loved trying to stay ahead of the curve. And, you know, just finding ways to adapt these new technologies as quickly as possible to, you know, new ideas or, you know, just ways to change. I'm all about, you know, um, uh, the motto of Climb Lab um, is actually evolved for elevation. And that four is actually IV. Um, coincidentally, my son's the fourth. But what that stands for is it's, it's the evolutionary change from generation to generation. Um, and it's important to continue to change. Um, and so it's kind of, uh, it's ambiguous cause it stands for, you know, a, a few different things, but you know, the biggest thing there is, you know, you have to evolve and what I have, you know, on that tower that day when I was scared for my life, I felt that the, the technology and the devices I was using were stagnant. They'd been there for five, 10, 15 years and hadn't really seen much, you know, change in innovation. And I was like, holy crap, I think, I think I'm onto something. If I, you know, can really just figure out how to make this stuff um, and stick it through. At that point, I wanted to make a, start a climbing gym. That's what Climb Lab was. Um, kind of put the cart ahead of the horse, but um, found it in July 2013 to be a climbing gym. Uh, six months later, couldn't raise enough money, or a few months later, couldn't raise enough money. Started working for a cell tower company um, to get that money and the cash flow. Um, and the banks were like, you know, it's going to take a lot more than that. And I was just like, man, pretty beat up about it. Already branded and had a cool logo, I thought. Um, I'll leave that up to the people that see it. <laughs> no, that's a dope a radio logo, host on, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, WMT. I forgot what his name was. If I could remember, gosh, I would, I'd throw him on the radio because I just love to <laughs> ream him. Um, but he called it a chocolate kiss or something, and I'll never let it. I just can't swallow that. Um, not that kiss. Uh, 
totally off topic. I kind of forgot where I was here now. <laughs> Climb lab. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they were like, I didn't want to shut the doors. And I was convinced that I was going to be able to start a manufacturing company capable of launching some really cool, innovative products, melding 3D printing, new age, you know, kind of manufacturing techniques. And that's like biocomposites. Um, I'm totally, you know, if I can not use petroleum based um, plastics and, and actually find a product, you know, a product that's carbon neutral as far as when it's made and, you know, the things that go into it sequester more carbon than what goes into the atmosphere for the production process. Like that's what I think environmentalism is, is for, or even green businesses. You know, I'd love to be a B corporation someday, um, meaning that we're taking drastic steps um, to, uh, you know, kind of revert back to where we were, you know, hundreds of years ago as far as climate and things go. So, but that's a, that's a huge task. And right now, um, a lot of people will even tell you, you know, it's just not, it's not feasible, um, at this stage of business because I'm just hurting for, you know, for, for cash, um, which sounds funny because a lot of people are like, you know, go out and get investors, but I've been down that road. And what you find pretty quickly is that unless you can find a team that sees exactly eye to eye and you can, um, you know, pay a lawyer to, it's not about trust. It's about, you know, the strength of your contract, unfortunately, um, because, uh, that trust isn't what protects you in the end. Um, and, I yeah, just and if someone's giving you money, they're going to be giving you input also, or yeah. demanding, you know, an exorbitant share of your idea. And so that's gotta be the plight of any, you know, burgeoning startup is where do I get the funds to make my idea a reality? But, um, you know, I've seen your, your prototypes, and stuff. And I've seen a positive response, especially on, um, oh hell, what's the, what's the stick clip adapter called? Um, we, it's identity is the connector and we, the connector. Um, yeah, C N K T R just to make that, you know, a lot of people think I spell it like connector, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, and we'll throw a picture of that up on, I'll put it on the Facebook page for start cast. But, um, so basically in, in rock climbing, a stick clip, um, specifically on the, the sport climbing side of things, if you're going to go out sport climbing, you're going to walk up to a cliff and the first piece of protection is going to be a, a um, hanger that is bolted to the wall, sometimes, sometimes as high as up to 15, 20 feet up. Now, it can be sketchy to climb up to that and clip your rope into it because you're not protected until your rope is actually connected to that hanger. And so... A multitude of things could happen that could send you to the ground, break your ankle, ruin your climbing day, and then maybe probably even ruin the next few months of your life. If not ruin, just make it really tough. But I mean, if you're going out to go out climbing, you want to have a good time. You don't want to go out and break your ankle. So a really easy thing you can do is what he was saying earlier with a painter's pole, an extendable pole like you would use to um, paint the ceiling in your house. You can get a little thing to hook onto the screw onto the end of that, hook your rope to it clip it up there to that first uh, piece of protection, and then you're protected from the ground up. Now, your connector's really cool because most people will find a stick out in the woods, a really long stick, and then just use some tape and twigs <laughs> and fashion uh, a means to connect a rope to it and then stick it up there. But uh, uh, your connector is a pretty neat idea because it fits right in your backpack. There's really no excuse to say, you know, well, I, I guess some people ethically don't want to use a stick clip, but they're, they're, I, I, they're too macho. <laughs> we call those Mr. 13s. <laughs> yeah. Some people, you, I don't know if you, if you run around with enough climbers, you'll run into people who climb with their ego and they can be a bit, a bit much to handle, but 
If, I know personally, <laughs> personally using a stick clip in my own climbing experience has saved my ankles at least a half dozen times where I thought I was on a solid hold, boom, the thing breaks off. And before I'm even 10 feet off the ground, I'm falling. And if it weren't for the fact that that rope was already up there before I left the ground, like the ground at the bottom of a climb is never level. There's going to be rocks sticking out all over the place, roots. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to fuck yourself up. And no easy way to cannonball into the ground. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody, oh, I, I don't stick clip. It's like, all right, see you later, hobbles. Yeah, and I like to think they're probably <laughs> awesome at home improvement because they're going to deck out um, probably, you know, any moment. Sorry, I had to, I'm all about my puns. And <laughs> that was a good pun. It almost made me spit to. my beer out. <laughs> Are these mics waterproof? <laughs> I don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 important. I know I'm also a, a certified climbing wall instructor through the American Mountain Guides Association. Um, so, you know, safety. I always tell people it's it's not a priority. It's my job. Mm-hmm. You know, in most instances. Um, and so, if you can hang that piece of protection and not you know risk getting hurt, heck yeah, I don't want to lug your you know you and your pack out of some place just because you know you were too macho to use it or you know and I understand the freedom and wanting to climb up protected from that first one. But if you're gonna hang, you know, clip the rest, you know, at some well, point. If you're already going sport climbing, you're you're doing a, like the most contrived form of climbing that there is. Somebody oh, is yeah. I can understand if you know nobody's gonna use a stick clip when you're trad climbing. Being traditional climbing, like you'd go up and place your own removable protection in like a crack or something like that. But with a sport climb, somebody has rappelled in from the top with a hammer drill and they have actually bolted pieces of steel onto the wall that you can go up and clip a carabiner into. And so like the name of the game is to just push yourself. You know, if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough routes. And I don't know, a stick clip just seems like it would be a normal part of your gear if you're going out sport climbing, but man, you run into a lot of people who just refuse to use them. Yeah. And I could really see how your product could help some of those people because, you know, I'm gregarious and I ask people what's up when I'm at the crag if I run into them. And when I notice that they're not using a stick clip, I usually ask what their thoughts are on it. It's cool to feel out the community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people say that they just don't like carrying a pole around in the woods. Which, you know, I, I don't blame them. Yeah, that's why the connector was born. I was just like, what? what is wrong with this situation? Not to mention um, your typical stip clip device and the connector combined weigh under four ounces. Um, any painter's pole, even the one notoriously called Mr. Longarm. Yeah, somebody <laughs> actually named the extension Mr. Longarm. Um, I'm not making this up. <laughs> sorry i'm yeah i'm trying to get hold this in with you here um but uh yeah and i try to push myself every day to climb harder and i think the keystone there is every day if something you know happens when you're climbing because you didn't stick clip and you know and you can't climb every day um it's just yeah it seems silly um and the connectors it's going to be made of a biocomposite that might be first of its kind um i'm basically trying to find a way and i've already have a company um and we've confirmed that it matches you know my uh, i'm basically taking perlite mixing it with a biocomposite uh, made in fargo i want to say north dakota um 
it you know hopefully um, will be um, and uh, they basically have a proprietary total trade secret formula for a biocomposite where they can use any filler material in the world you know basically well probably could um, and uh, what's interesting about it is that it's not petroleum based it's completely biocompostable um, and also biodegradable obviously um, you know over a certain course of you know so many years mm -hmm. um, there's different you know types of classifications um, but uh, to take perlite, mix it with something like, you know, hemp um, and, you know, a few other things to make this biocomposite. Um, the filler material is what makes up a bulk of, um, you know, like making climbing holds. Joe, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, the microfill or whatever goes into it, plus the resin, it adds up. It costs money. Um, and so, you know, it'll be kind of interesting to see um, the connector will actually be made of one of these biocomposite, you know, resins with, you know, mixed with um, perlite, which is... Um, naturally opaque and just kind of has a cool color to it um so it'll be yeah it'll be interesting i'm excited to see where it goes um how far away do you think these are from coming out to the market thanks to websites like kickstarter and uh indiegogo right now i am actively vetting media companies capable of basically taking all the cool stuff that's going on behind the scenes um i was just at printerbot in sacramento california Got my 3D printer signed by Brooke Drum. Uh, he's the CEO and founder. I'm probably secretly like oh, one of his cool. biggest fans. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it just so happens my you know fiance has some, a family member that had worked there. It was kind of like my plug uh, in my my in you know early on, and uh, now that's budded and kind of grown into you know actually having products that i i have you know sitting right next to me you know prototypes that are that are 3d printed um you know to just save costs on uh you know the prototyping and you know just trying to get through the design phase as quickly as possible um so we can hit the ground running so uh, yeah that's really awesome man joe's holding in his hand uh, the angle <laughs> lock um, but it's made of abs uh, plastic this was um, 3D, 3d printed, printed. yeah oh, wow yeah we'll put a picture of this thing up I mean, it's yeah, incredible so that that thing was 3D printed. Unfortunately, the connector in the angle lock can't be seen for a little while, um, just because we're still working through some IP um, and the intellectual property. Well, we to might actually put that up someday. Then. Oh yeah, totally. No, and that's what you know. But um, and that's why I mean, I'm happy. I'm pretty. You know, I I wish I could be totally open source and share my ideas with tons of people. Um, well, no, I mean, if you if you have an idea that hasn't come to market yet, you know, obviously you can't share it. <laughs> we live in a world where, where there is thievery. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I, I understand. I mean, I've... And, you know, the theft of intellectual property is definitely something that, that businesses worry about. Um, with my job, I go into lots of different manufacturing facilities, and I've had to sign non-disclosure agreements before I'm allowed into certain parts of the plants. And uh, there's other places that I'm just not allowed into. It doesn't matter if what I stock is in there or not. Like, uh, no, we'll, we'll hand you a list of what we need. You know, they don't let anybody into that door. And so, yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, man. And that's a smart move, too. Also a big hurdle. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's not cheap. Um, but um, I've been, yeah, working on provisional patent applications um, just to, you know, see... Um, just to get something out there and then you can put those famous words on your product as it's running out and that's patent pending for about a year's time before you you know have to submit for uh, or file for a utility patent um, which the uspto you know can be i mean they're inundated um with with work and new you know patents come in daily um so the chances of actually getting a patent can be very very slim 
um, the nature of one of my, you know, designs is pretty likely and one is very unlikely just because of the design and the way it is. Um, it's been you know, kind of considered just very, it's simple. Um, it's the purpose um, that makes it unique um, and how it's used and the directions it comes with and, you know, the way it's marketed and um, how it was designed and why. Um, but, you know, it's still just because of what it does and how it functions. Um, you know, I've basically already been told there's no way in hell you're going to get a patent kid. You know, it's basically what I had if without, if I had like a really good Boston accent, um, that's what it kind of sounded like. It, it always like echoes in my mind sometimes when I look at it and I'm like, damn it, someone's going to steal this. Um, getting into inventing and stuff like that. What was the most surprising thing that you've found getting to like, what was, what was the biggest curveball that's been thrown at you? You didn't expect to see. You're just, you know, we're all kind of uh, greenwashed with all these products constantly. And, you know, greenwash might be a bad word, but really just kind of, um, you know, you walk in Walmart and you see so many products and you're like, man, I've got an idea. It's got to be, you know, it can't be that hard, to, you know, to make it. But it's all of the steps and the cost. And, you know, even a simple product is hard to make. Um, the connector's perfect example. It's not, you know, there's no moving parts. Um, you know, there's some things that go with it. Um, but it's, you know, it wasn't that simple. I wasn't like, Oh man, I'm going to go to, you know, if you can make a toothbrush, you know, you could make it, you know, you can make this product. Um, but it's just so much more like intellectual property, finding somebody to make it, the injection mold tooling to make it, you know, the, the makers need something to make it with. It's kind of funny when you just break it down really simple yeah. like that. And then, um, the designers, you know, the people that, that make it for the makers needed design. Um, mm -hmm. and so, I mean, it just keeps kind of shuffling down and then packaging intellectual property, finding distribution channels. Um, it sounds yeah, exhausting. Oh, it totally is. And it I'd is. imagine that persistence is the secret ingredient into getting something like this pushed through. Yeah. Or awesome teams. And, uh, I think, you know, it could be, you know, one of my biggest setbacks is probably in, I'm open, you know, I, I love bringing people on and helping me. The problem is I have nothing to offer them right now. Um, operating on, you know, a couple of year, you know, years tax returns and stuff is what I jump started the company with. And I've been <laughs> living off of that, uh, um, you know, in a small loan a long time ago. Um, but yeah, through the sales of the climb salve now, um, you know, trying to, I'll be hopefully, you know, yeah, there's your other product, the climb salve. How did we not think of that? <laughs> save the best for last probably cause it's just out. I can't, that, and that one's out. Yeah. You're, you're selling that one and yeah, it's actively on the market. We even got into a, a high stuff's great too. Thanks. I mean, if, yeah. if your skin on your hands is, you know, chapped up, giving you troubles, man, you put some of that on, it's going to set you straight. And this sounds really funny, but our best retailer and number one seller right now is actually a baby store. Um, and when I say baby store, I mean, you know, like a store for um, infants to, you know, I don't know, K through 12, you know, I mean, there's products for, um, for all sorts of, you know, kids, you know, needs and so forth. Um, but, uh, there's a comment feed on their website and it's just hilarious because it actually <laughs> says that it helps fix clown mouth. And when I first read that, I was like, is that a typo? You know, I've, and, I've no, never, clown I have mouth. two kids and I've never heard a clown mouth. Yeah. That's when they chafe and they lick around their mouth and they have that really big red ring oh. around their face. They call that clown mouth, which I just, man. It's, yeah. It's something I've definitely seen, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I've definitely mouth. seen it, but I hadn't heard it called clown mouth. So I didn't say it, but oh, that's um, messed up. people tell me it helps fix clown mouth. So now I get to say that. 
Um, and uh, yeah, in a range of other things. I always, it's like Neosporin, your favorite lotion, and Bengay had a love child. That's Climesav. <laughs> I mean, it's it actually has naturally has anti-inflammatory and pain relief properties mm-hmm. um, because of the echinacea, arnica, golden seal. Well, I know it's um, great for the skin after a long gym session. Yep. Because if if you've never tried rock climbing and you go to a climbing gym, chances are your skin's going to wear out before your muscles do. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I mean, is you know, just imagine grabbing you know, just rubbing your fingers over sandpaper over and over again, and it's a, your body weight under it. And, you know, about 90 minutes of that, all of a sudden you're crying for mama, just mm-hmm. touching a hold, let alone climbing on oh, it. Yeah, I so. wipe up these tears. I actually, I mop them up on the daily. I also run a climbing gym at Coe College um, and uh, am, you know, the active supervisor there. So it sounds funny, but we actually teach people how to grab, you know, and how to, t- how to hold on to grab holds. Um, well, it's not intuitive because... Yeah. The one thing that's funny is when you talk to somebody that doesn't know much about climbing and you say, you should do it. And they're like, oh man, I can't even do a pull-up. It's like, you don't need to do a pull-up. <laughs> if if climbing was built on pull-ups, I would be screwed because I'm a big guy. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it is really important to use proper climbing technique. Which, you know, I mean, with you being a guide and working in the climbing gym, it's probably something that you're used to doing is teaching people the importance of keeping your weight on your feet because your feet are made to carry yourself around and like Mm -hmm. it's you'd think it wouldn't be counterintuitive because you walk down the sidewalk just fine but you get somebody in a vertical environment and they're going to want to put way more focus on their hands it's like no you use those tricks of body positioning to keep your weight over your feet and you're going to get up to the top of that wall yeah and climbing up is one thing Climbing horizontally is a completely different thing, and all those body mechanics. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's um, some people definitely you know pick it up a little quicker. Um, but it's it's in us all. Um, we've climbed with somebody you know close to seventy years old. Um, I've climbed and actually given lessons to you know a girl who was seven or eight years old, um, in a raggedy garage of my mom's that I had a climbing gym in. That's actually where <laughs> you know kind of. Also, yeah, raising funds early on, just a total garage, you know, startup. Um, but yeah, it's all walks of life, all body styles and people and characteristics. Um, one of the most fulfilling things, you know, that I've got from, you know, watching other people climb is you get to see their character right when they get on the wall. If someone has, you know, just a great ability to, you know, to persevere through, you know, difficult situations, you'll see that because they'll probably never whine and just hit the ground running and and shoot up a wall. Um, While some people who, you know, if you're, I don't want to, you know, say like a quitter, you know, but if, if, if you just have a hard time dealing with those difficult situations, you know, it, it hits you on that wall and you just see that really fast. So, Rock climbing is very revealing, um, and also oh, it's the, stressful. Oh yeah, totally. In the inner reflection too, you know, you really think about yourself when you're climbing because it's only you that can hold you on the wall, and it's it's always something that's it's just awesome. I love it. Yeah, climbing is wow. It's one of those things that makes you feel like a little kid again, mm-hmm. and I mean, when I was a kid, I climbed trees. And it was awesome. And then, you know, when you get older, for some reason, society starts to frown on you when you climb trees. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Huck Finn, I guess. Or, you know. I guess. But man, I remember that first time in a climbing gym, that was what it felt like. It was like that. It was like, oh, this is kind of a game. But 
but it's more than a game also and yeah it's it's pretty cool man and like mm-hmm. i can there's been a couple times where i've been in positions to help out beginners and those days are always really really great when you give somebody their first climbing experience because you see them go through that crazy range of emotions mm-hmm. of of being afraid and then the feeling of accomplishment when they reach the top and Sudden there's doubt. there's always a lot of smiles going around on those days yeah and uh it's pretty wonderful to be a part of that yeah you were uh you were involved in the group that i got started in you know when i really decided to make um you know rock climbing a what I consider a rockupation. Um, and that's <laughs> a rockupation. <laughs> yeah. That's climbing for an occupation. Um, you know, so it doesn't have to be rock, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, kind of a turning point, you know, in my life because I've, I found something that I was passionate about and felt confident, um, in the ability to actually make money and turn it into a lifestyle, you know, that would, that would be sustainable. Um, and that was through my glimmer of hope was there's climb lab and just trying to, you know, to continue to do, you know, um, to just make it, you know, mm-hmm. with this, you know, I have big, you know, crazy goals, um, which are great to have things that you think are out of reach, um, you know, or just the things to be thinking about. Um, and that's, you know, taking a company like climb lab in five years to $10 million. I said that just a couple of weeks ago, um, to someone, Oh, nice. Know, it sounds, you're like, good luck kid. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to get there. Well, you know, you're not going to reach the stars unless you yeah. actually, reach for the stars (laughs) amen um so what are you doing with the wind turbines right now um yeah this is awesome so uh when i started working for industrial technologies at kirkwood um because of my rock climbing background um when when i was working there um i paid special interest to the energy production and distribution technology program um which is a two-year um wind turbine um and energy production program um mainly focused on the wind um, industry and um i basically just kind of was very eager and adamant about kind of not nagging but you know hitting the teacher and the instructor up and saying hey i would be completely thrilled and willing to climb for any reason rain sleet snow you know negative 20 degrees you name it you know i'd be there um and shockingly enough his response was yeah come and grab a harness i'll see you tomorrow you know kind of thing and i was like oh my gosh seriously i can you know i can climb this and he's like yeah yeah you can you just have to follow the rules um so how tall is the turbine that's at kirkwood uh 269 feet to the center of the nacelle um uh, nacelle is french for house um so it's the the housing unit at the top of the tower um and 260 feet up to that yeah, 270 pretty much um, to the nose cone. Um, if you're standing on top, you're definitely over 280 feet. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty view of Cedar Rapids um, for sure, and it's pretty standard. They're getting taller um, as years go on. So now uh, one of the tallest land-based wind turbines in the United States happens to be in southwest Iowa, um, and it stands. It actually has, a, I think, a hexagonal concrete base that was added to a traditional turbine, which added 110 feet, which puts it above 300 and 50 feet um, in total. So you start getting up that high in the, the wind streams. Um, they actually use a piece of equipment called LIDAR to study wind quakes. Um, and you see the wind quakes at that height, and it's unbelievable. What is a wind quake? 
um, basically, you know, the pressure around us and then trust me, this is, um, I can't explain this LIDAR equipment very well, but if you typed in <laughs> L I D A R in Google, um, it's going to give you a lot more than I can. Um, but basically the LIDAR, I just think of it as, um, like when you see a big hurricane, you know, on that map and you see the, you know, yellow center, red, you know, orange, blue. Mm-hmm. Well, if you put some kind of, um, uh, what spectrum is it, you know, that you can see, you know, that type of, you know, those gases or whatever's making up our atmosphere. Um, and so it's basically just the wind. And when you see, you know, those winds, if you could put, you know, a, if all wind was blue and you're looking at this radar, um, you know, you can study the force and where they're going and the, the pressure changes and at this height that's doing this. And I mean, it's, you know, wind's invisible, but if you have a special type, you know, piece of equipment like this LIDAR, um, which I'm pretty sure were super expensive, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah. You can, you know, but we know it's, it's almost, you know, it's kind of standard, you know, on the ground, it's windy. You climb up a hundred feet. It's super windy. You continue up and it just continues to get worse. You know, like when you're in a jet and you hit turbulence going over, you know, in, flying into Denver, Holy crap, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people like, you know, oh my God, you know, grabbing their seats and, you know, because turbulence is rocking and, you know, you get up that high at 35,000 feet, um, you're hitting some serious, some serious turbulent winds. Um, and it's the same thing for these turbines. So this taller turbine that's in Southwest Iowa can actually, you, it probably has a better energy output because it's getting some more wind hitting the, hitting the blades. It's not so much the output. I think in the focus there is just a more um, uh, consistent, yeah, consistent, okay. you know, kind of flow of wind. Um, when you get up that high, there's less obstructions. On it can, you know, so it just flows probably it flows for your, you know better, I guess. And trust me, I'm I'm not you know studying that field. I've just picked up a lot because I work with the guys that are in this field. My focus is um, is safety and rescue. I teach a credential called the. Um, W110, um, safety at height, climb and rescue. Um, and it's specifically for wind turbine technicians. Um, and it teaches them how to ascend, descend, egress, and, you know, emergency, um, you know, self and partner evacuations. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's really rewarding, um, for me. Fortunately, I've never been in one of these situations when, um, or had to rescue someone in a, you know, in a real life situation. Um, but to be able to train people while, you know, knowing that I'm so passionate about what I do. Um, I just know the value of the education that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and education sounds funny because, it, but you know, we, I am teaching them and even these old dogs, you know, people habituate really bad techniques. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, if, if you don't show somebody proper ways to do something and you put them in an environment that is inherently dangerous, you know, generally your accident isn't going to be due to gear failure, but, but to human error. Yeah. And so learning proper safety techniques is important. Yeah. Um, knowing that sort of stuff, does it wig you out when you see those uh, like crazy Russian people on YouTube, like doing handstands on top of cranes and shit like that? Yeah. That's a special (laughs) type of crazy. I mean, now that I have something like a, you know, a kid to live for, um, it would be hard to even imagine putting myself in that situation. I'm just so nice and cozy in my harness. I couldn't imagine, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, it is, you know, and Hey, cheers to those guys. Um, you know, for real, because, uh, obviously they've got, you know, something that turns that fear level down a little bit more than the rest of us. Um, because that's what keeps me alive. Um, so how they keep doing it, I have no idea. All those videos are hard to watch. And to back all this up, uh, the number one uh, reason for deaths on construction sites is actually falls, um, which is proof, um, that, you know, it's gravity does not 
you know, it doesn't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's always there just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, the wind turbines are incredible. Um, I think, uh, Iowa, uh, in 2014, um, or 15, um, actually had $11.8 billion invested in new wind turbine projects. Um, and we were just 0.1 behind California who was number one with 11.9. Um, and those were, you know, stats from the Iowa wind energy association, IWEA. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's super rewarding. I mean, climate change, you know, or however you feel about it. Um, we still need to find, you know, cleaner ways and more, you know, sustainable, um, you know, ways to produce energy. Um, and what's awesome about turbines is the, you know, vertical integration and the fact that cows can graze up into the base of the, you know, within like, uh, I think 15, 20 feet from the base of the wind turbine, you could have a cow grazing. Um, you know, unlike a nuclear power plant, you walk next to one of those things and well, you don't walk next to it, right? Because you got to go through 50 <laughs> fences and then it's, you know, barbed wire and it's also probably toxic. Um, so uh, it's just, I don't know, it just seems like a no brainer, but I know it's not easy to, you know, throw out your old tube TV and get a new flat screen because I watch my grandparents, you know, struggle for that for 10 years, you know. Um, but there comes a time where you got to scrap the old TV and you got to go with the new technology. Um, the Kirkwood wind turbine is 2.5 megawatts. I think, and my stats are rusty, but it's got to be close to enough energy to light a, you know, um, light or put light in 2,600 homes or something or 1,600. Um, that's one turbine. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. So megawatts, you know, kilowatt, man, if I was, yeah, if you could do the math, it's, it adds up fast. Um, yeah, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really, I knew nothing about them either until you're in them and you're like, what's this big circle thing? There's four of them. They're like, oh, those are the generators. One blade rotation spins each of these little, you know, generators, um, 72 revolutions or something like that per minute. Um, and then each one of those generators, when they spin, they transfer that, you know, to the, yeah, it's just, it's incredible how they work. And the blades actually pitch and change um, angle mm -hmm. um, in one sweep. So you can't see it to the naked eye. But they adjust these micro, you know, little amounts to, you know, either slow down, you know, increase efficiency or, you know, break themselves. And I mean, it's just, they're, uh, yeah, it's awesome. And they really just run by themselves. You mm -hmm. know, there's a, a brain up tower, you know, the turbine control unit, just a big computer, you know, just kind of keeping everything flowing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's even fun working with the guys in the field um, because there's so many different types of manufacturers, just like cars. They're like, oh gosh, not a, you know, this brand. And then, oh man, yeah, I talked to these guys who are working on a, you know, I don't want to throw any companies out there because they're all good in their own ways. Um, but uh, it's just, they're certainly a, a piece of work. You know, these, these guys are ascending these turbines, they're working on them. Um, they're getting flown all across the world. Um, if you were willing to move for a job and you wanted work and you were willing to, you know, put on a harness, man, I would be calling a turbine company um, because it looks, it looks fun. And, uh, yeah. And they have these crazy ones too that are like the offshore ones. Mm -hmm. that they're putting them far enough away from the coast so that it's beyond the curve of the earth. So you're actually not seeing them from the coast. <laughs> and like, holy shit, man, that's just some crazy technology. And, you know, I've, I see them all over the place in Iowa. I drive for my job. And so you come across them and like, they call them wind farms, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In it's an apt term because even, you know, in Iowa, you're driving around and you're seeing corn bean fields everywhere. And then all of a sudden you see a field of these giants that, you know, are, you know, a few hundred feet tall, these big giant blades spinning around 
and just as far as you can see along the horizon, he's like, you try and count them and you can lose count, you know, or, you know, drive your car right off the road, trying to count them like an idiot. Yeah, both. <laughs> but I mean, the, you know, you see a lot of them and then you bring up, you know, wind power, clean energy with certain people and it, some people throw a negative connotation at it and it seems yeah. silly to disparage clean energy because why? That's you know, the big question. It, yeah. Like, oh, the technology isn't where I want it right now. And it's like, well, can't you think that maybe someday it's going to be there? It just needs to, you know, keep being helped along. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, right now we're running on fossil fuel. It's a finite resource. It is going to run out someday. Mm-hmm. So why not be prepared for that day before you're, you know, right now we're just chugging along and we're going to get there when the gun's to our head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you don't want your eggs all in one basket, right? Isn't that what everyone always says? Hmm. And that's why it's good not to be dependent on one resource, even like states when they're, you know, you hear a lot, especially when, you know, um, you know the political race, you know, that just came through and ended recently. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about jobs and coal in these industries. Um, and what I see, you know, kind of, um, you know, my counter argument a lot of times is, you can't be so dependent on one thing. Um, you know, Texas can't just be known for cattle or it can't be known, you know, Iowa can't just be known for corn, even though we're, you know, a big monoculture, you know, majority of their state. But I'm talking about, we also have a lot of other imports and exports out of the state, you know, that um, probably make up a large part of our, you know, GDP or whatever. So it's, uh, if you're reliant on just coal in this one industry and these 50,000 factory workers, like, I think it's time to get some more diverse factories in this place. So that way, if, that resource just kind of bites it like it did you got to have a backup plan you know and yeah wind is such a viable option right now it's unbelievable the wind is always blowing precisely yeah so why not harness that they're expensive you know um i mean i think um, projects can go from five to ten million dollars to erect just a you know a single turbine it can be less you know when through for a construction of a wind farm um some of these companies uh like bladner energy um vestas uh, Axiona, Nordex, um, those two companies are going through a merger currently. Um, they're, you know, big in Spain and then big in the United States. And those two combining forces, you know, is going to help drive prices down. Probably. Um, you've got GE Siemens. Um, I mean, there's just, there's tons of company and that's not without even any of these, you know, Danish or the German companies. And I mean, Chinese companies, I mean, they're all over the place. Um, I heard a, an amazing stat was that every hour there was two turbines finished in 2016 and those on NPR. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's staggering. China is um, unbelievable. I mean, they are, they're actually, you know, they're, they're erecting, I mean, I forgot how many it was a, a day, but it was, it was a staggering figure. You know, when you really look at it, you're like, wow, you know, hey, good. At least so many, you know, and, and there's other countries, we are too. Um, but there's wind farms are popping up all over. What I was getting towards was, um, you know, these cons- companies that are putting it together hundreds at a time, that price starts to go down on, on the cost because obviously like anything you buy it in bulk, you know, and it's going to get a little cheaper. Um, so hopefully, you know, renewable tax credits right now will end in at the end of 2017. That's, yeah, that's been the big argument about it is that without government subsidy subsidies mm-hmm. that these, you know, wind power companies would just go belly up. Yeah. And so would corn and any of these other companies, but you know, it, it seems no one's going to cut their subsidy. So I think it should be kind of held to the same standard, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a cool time right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
they say that curses may live in interesting times and we are seeing ourselves going into interesting times. Yeah, certainly. You know, I mean, regardless of, of what side of the political spectrum you're on, we're definitely going through a time in America where stuff's, the snow globe is being shaken. And right now there's stuff flying all over the place and we're just going to have to see where, where it all lands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for some of these industries like clean energy, it might not be landing on the right side for, you know, this, it might not be landing on the side that they would like to see. Mm -hmm. Which, Um, yeah. And me, I'm, you know, you look at the sociology, if, if even just, you know, the tax credits get, you know, kind of halted, my training slow down and I, you know, which is a bulk of my income as a wind turbine safety instructor. Um, you know, which is also helping me, you know, fund my business and kind of get off the ground. Um, you know, so then it would start hurting our small business economy, um, because climb lab would possibly kind of go through a suffrage that might, you know, put me down, um, or under, um, I hate saying me because, you know, there's a ton of people involved, um, while there's only one owner. Um, it is, um, but you know, it's, yeah, it's all interrelated. Um, and that web is, it's really complicated. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you just, you know, kind of know, know why you got to ask the five whys. I learned that in a lean manufacturing course uh, a couple semesters ago. Um, and if you ask why five times, you will get to the root of the problem. Um, and if not, you're probably just a few more away. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I think they call it the root cause analysis or something like that. It was probably one of the most fascinating courses. And I think that anybody, um, who just wanted to figure out a way to what we call hacking nowadays. If you took a lean manufacturing course, you can apply those principles to so many things in life. And mm-hmm. it's just eliminating waste. Well, I'm a big fan of lean. More efficiency. Oh, it, it really plays well to my OCD tendencies. Yep. Oh yeah. I'm with you. Well, <laughs> he's looking at our apartment, probably looking clean now or this office, but honestly, um, we've been, it was like the, uh, what was the movie? Um, the roach motel or the guy had the the apartment oh shit I <laughs> man those listeners out there if you have not seen the movie with the something apartment and it's got all the roaches you guys will understand it goes from clean to dirty or dirty to clean really Are you fast about like that old mtv movie or something like joe's apartment yes joe's apartment that's what i was getting to <laughs> I vaguely remember trailers for it. <laughs> I just remember a certain <laughs> that scene stupid part of my brain that just yeah. will or not how about let go Cinderella of pop culture. And the things. birds helping her clean the place up, you know. Yeah, that's kind of how <laughs> what was going on before Joe came over. So I'm far from OCD and I'm not clean. <laughs> so I kind of understand, but not exactly. Yeah, but that's how quickly I can get off topic. You see that, Joe? <laughs> Well, if you want, we can take a quick break here and uh, get back into it in uh, just a moment. Okay, so coming up with your own products, the tower stuff. I know you do fireworks stuff in the summer. Shh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, Not legal, legal. You don't do it in the state. <laughs> you go to a legal state to do it. But, um, man, you do a lot of different stuff. And it's got to be that butter coffee keeping you going. <laughs> You had to drop the butter coffee. Yeah. Well, that was pretty special. Uh I I came to pick you up for a climb in one morning and you had coffee ready for me. That was a treat (laughs) because that was a damn good cup of coffee. I'm glad you liked it. A lot of people were like, hold on. What'd you put in there? Yeah. But of all my friends, you've always been the one to talk about that sort of stuff. Like, uh, like this dude just offered me a charcoal pill. (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's activated charcoal (laughs) in a capsule. And uh, the cool part about it is it actually, because they're positively charged, um, and it's so fine um, that the surface area in one of these capsules is equivalent to a football field um, in area. So when you think about that, you're like, holy cow. I mean, I don't have that much you know, room inside me, but what these things do, they basically just cling on to bad stuff. Um, and uh, so when you ingest alcohol, um, questionable food, uh, maybe you're in an environment where you are inhaling or ingesting a ton of like, you know, pollutants or metal, um, and you want to pull that out um well what you do is when you ingest charcoal and it attracts these foreign and you know bad things um it takes it out in your excrement um so basically you have a black turd if you eat enough of them um i mean that's there's no no better way to put it so it's like those burgers that like was that burger king that was doing those they were doing <laughs> yeah, some like halloween bun. Yeah. yeah they were doing like a halloween burger and it was yeah. giving people questionable shits yeah you're like is it did a raccoon poop in my toilet or what is that yeah yeah no that was happening and it's not that bad i mean you have to really down some charcoal before you know you're like oh my gosh what is that you know and, um, before you're shitting briquettes yeah and i wish if you've ever seen the the, the logs of what people search on google and it's just like why is my poop black you know i'm, I'm sure one of the answers has got to be did you ingest activated charcoal and uh if your answer was yes that might have happened um but it's like a three thousand year old remedy um and, and when people go into the hospitals and they're they're um, poisoned with alcohol or you know other chemicals a lot of times they'll pump your stomach with charcoal. Yeah, I've heard of that before yeah, when people have like same, OD'd or yeah, something like premise, that. You know, same charcoal. Same reason. Yep. And it uh, soaks in and takes in all that stuff and then they can, you know, remove it or it will leave your body naturally um, without, you know, people think charcoal. I'm not talking Kingsford, you know. They're like, <laughs> oh, you just grab a briquette, you know, out of the grill. Hell no. You know, yeah, this stuff comes from a factory that's probably super clean um, and the way it all works and where it comes from, you know coconut charcoal so these are actually activated coconut charcoal shells or whatever it is and then they they're washed and mm-hmm. you know it's it's a long process but really cool how it works and it's a you know three thousand year old remedy all right you know if we've been doing it for that long i can trust it so what originally got you into stuff like that like with the butter coffee and then you know like supplements and stuff like that it all started with an aunt and uncle um in uh that were uh, I had a really successful um, uh, uncle um, who, you know, became just a powerful mentor um, and kind of pushed me towards the inventive side. Um, he is who turned me into an opportunist or an opportunist, um, basically seeing, you know, some type of business or, op- you know, every time someone has a problem or there's a challenge, there's opportunity, um, you know, you just got to find out how to exploit it. Um, and he was the one that kind of gave me that lesson. Um, and then at the same time, you know, he was... Um, not one to take health for granted. Um, he was actually a gymnast, um, and him and my aunt, they turned their garage into a, a weight gym. And when I would visit them during the summer, they would always, you know, put me through these rigorous workouts and tell me how important it was to have a regimen. And, you know, my body was a temple and Hey, you know, what's, you know, they ate organic food. I'm like, why is all your food got this, you know, this thing before it, it says organic, you know, it's kind of it all came back to you know not the you know like using toms of maine you know toothpaste and deodorant i don't use toms of maine for either um i use jason's power smile and climb sav believe it or not for my deodorant um or for my underarms um but uh it was just the staying away from chemicals you know trying to uh 
um, just revert back to, you know, as close to what we would come across in nature as possible, um, which is really tough to do nowadays. So I try to do what's called biohacking. Um, and I had a close friend who said, Hey dude, there's this thing. I love coffee. And this is where I'm going with this. My friend goes, there's a men's fitness, you know, uh, article. This guy, his name's Dave Asprey. He's all about this bulletproof coffee. It's supposed to just be, I don't know, might be the best coffee ever. And I'm, I'm kind of perked up a little bit. I was like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. Well, not even a week later, you know, I ordered him some bulletproof. And what intrigued me, it wasn't the beans or the coffee or how he made it. It was the recipe. Um, and instead of using cream and all this stuff, because I love, you know, would whip, you know, froth milk and make, you know, I was like a barista at home. Um, mm-hmm. And they use butter instead of cream. I mean, that jumps out at you. Um, but I'm one, you know, I, I know that fats and oils are, um, it's such an integral part of, you know, life and, you know, our lineage was, you know, we were burning whale fat lamps. We were living off butter and all these things, you know, a long time ago because it and is, we, we exist on misinformation in this country for a long time in regards to fats. Yeah. Yeah. Fats, and oils, were, yeah. fats and oils were painted as being really horrible for you. And now, now the new science says, no, fats are really important, especially if you want to get rid of fat, you need to have the right kind of fat. Yeah. And that's what's exciting about, about the butter coffee. When you, when you first gave it to me, I didn't know what I was having. Yeah. And I did a little bit of research on it afterwards and I was like, wow, not only was that pretty good but i mean it was actually good for you whereas you know if you go to starbucks you're gonna get a coffee that's freaking tastes delicious yep but i mean it's Full probably got like 400 calories or something like that in yeah. it you know? super dark roasted beans so that way it has more body and flavor when if you're in there for caffeine and a jolt you want a light roast coffee a lot of people think dark roast yeah, and is people caffeine. don't realize that either side. yeah so if you when the the more you roast that you bean, know the more you're killing the caffeine. Yeah, that. That. Exactly. Yeah. I'm I, I'm light roast Nicaraguan bean, um, and uh, we get them air roasted from uh, Cafe del Sol, actually a little place in um, Iowa City, who has people buying beans from as far as Seattle, um, where Starbucks was founded. So that tells you we must have. You nice. know, this guy's got his beans, you know, on point. Um, but the bulletproof coffee, just to cover the recipe, it's twelve to sixteen ounces of coffee. Two up to two tablespoons of butter, um, a teaspoon of uh, MCT oil, which is like a medium chain triglyceride, um, which doesn't even need to be, um, you know, broke down at all. It just it's converted to ATP, um, which is energy um, at the root of it. Um, and uh, then you add like a stevia or xylitol, which is a natural sweetener. Um, not gonna you know no sugar, you know, because that's gonna create that rise and fall in energy. Um, and they, the, this recipe, when you whip it up in a blender, so you add the coffee, throw in the butter, throw in the, um, this coconut oil. And when I say coconut oil, this is liquid, no matter, you know, whether it's cold temperatures, you know, or, or hot, you know, above 70 degrees, coconut oil starts to, you know, turn to liquid. This, you know, these are the high chain fats. So they use centrifugal force, they separate the chains and you're left with these capric caprylic, um, uh, chains, which are the high, you know, like. Um, it gets, it gets super complex pretty quick. Um, so I'm going to stop before some fact checkers like, <laughs> like buzzing on me, but you know, all said and done, you whip, um, you basically turn coffee, your body processes coffee like a sugar. So you get that quick rise and fall of the caffeine. Well, when you mask the coffee with butter, the MCT oil, 
you actually, your body treats it like a food. So you have more sustained energy. So you get to use that coffee over a long period of time. Yeah, it breaks it down slower. Yeah, and so butter, you have like a slow yeah. caffeine release. Yeah, in you. the butter staves your hunger, keeps you feeling like you're full um, while you're not. And that's where the amount of butter um, basically allows you to go longer or shorter, you know, on without needing your next meal. Um, and then the coconut oil is the actually the energy. Um, that's what, you know, when you eat a meal, hopefully you get energy from it, but usually you're like, Oh, you know, at work at your keyboard and you're all yawning, probably had like a big ass sandwich with tons that, of carbs and all this stuff. Slump, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. And you start, you start crashing. Um, but when you use these medium chain triglycerides, they, Dave Asprey calls it brain fog. Um, and that's when you just kind of not lethargic, but you're just not operating on full, you know, it's like giving your car the wrong gas. You're kind of clunking and you're just not thinking straight. You're easily distracted. I mean, people think I'm on Adderall and I'm like, good luck. I don't put any medications <laughs> in my body unless I'm on my deathbed. Um, but it has similar effects because I'm bouncing off the walls. You know, I'm just like high on life. And, uh, I attribute it to the, you know, my diet and food and just my, um, my attachment to these super, um, and it's important to say the quality of these fats and oils is of the most important part because it all comes down to what you eat eats. So it's not what I'm eating. It's what I'm eating is eating. Mm -hmm. So the cow must be grazing on grass because it's, it's natural diet. So when it goes to produce that butter, it better be foraging on healthy grass for the entirety of that cycle to produce that butter. Otherwise it's going to be void of the nutrients that should be in there. Um, one of the most important is CLA, um, also known to in some ways, you know, reverse cancer. So they say, you know, cancer's on the rise. Well, so are, you know, fed finished, you know, cattle, you know, that or cattle that's raised fed finished, um, on grass would produce more CLA, but 90% of the meat in our food chain is put, you know, on grains and yeah, people and like corn that corn yeah, fed so, beef that's really fatty. And I, I see the flip side of the coin, and I'm not out here to make enemies or pick sides or you know even start that argument because I don't need to have the argument. You know, I just see the, I look to the science. Like, what were we doing thousands of years ago? You know, people were making, um, I don't know. You know, I, I don't even want to. I don't want to open up one of these wormholes <laughs> before you know it. <laughs> I'm gone. Well, that's like one of those funny things where people talk about the paleo diet and then you can uh -huh. see articles where it's like, well, technically the paleo people ate this. <laughs> it's like, well, that's not a paleo diet at all. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's the Bulletproof coffee has been awesome. Um, it opened my eyes. Um, and, uh, it was that same friend that turned me on to the Bulletproof coffee who went on to, um, just do a ton of research and just kind of really keeps his finger on the pulse of, um, not not even homeopathic or like a you know like a naturalista you know locavore. Um, you can put as many you know buzzwords and terms on you know kind of you know his lifestyle and where he gets it. But what it comes down to is we're both trying to reach optimal performance. I want to live to be a hundred. Some people are like I don't want to get old. I want to get old because I know I'm going to be kicking ass until I get there. Unless I get hit by a bus or my moped crashes and the same thing happens or you know who knows <laughs> um so i in order to live to be 100 you got to treat your body right um or i just think of it like a it's like a long-term investment people are like eating organic's expensive it's i hate even saying organic 
all it is is just a way to know that you're not, you know, eating something that's, you mm-hmm. know, but you still have to tr- really, really look and know, you know, not how to get or how to not get greenwashed and not to get yeah. sold by these, what I could, you know, people call foganic, mm-hmm. um, fo- you know, kind of fake organic. You know, I read a, um, a quote the other day that kind of fits in right there with what you're saying. Something, it's something along the lines of making good choices with, with the food you put in your body today is respecting your future self. All right. And I like that. that that kind of fits right in with what you're saying there mm-hmm. is that, you know, if you want to live to be a hundred, you got to do the stuff today correctly to get to there. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading shit like that because I'm so out of shape right now. <laughs> Heck yeah. I just, a lot of people think like, oh, life's over at any point in time. Our book is, you know, our, our life is like a, a big, you know, unwritten book, you know, and every single day you're writing new pages and that's called epigenetics. Our genetic code, we started with some, but we're not ending with all of it. We're writing that every day. Every day you put something in your in your mouth for nutrition, it's going to somehow break down into a new DNA chain that's going to be written with some type of code, right? Your ATCGs and stuff are, are going, getting written down. I saw something about that where like the average like American DNA strand like has a bunch of corn DNA in it right now because there's corn in everything we eat. Oh, yeah, I believe it. I totally believe it. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you look at a rock and we carbon date something. We know how old it is. Well, you could probably someday in the future look at our, you know, a bone structure and be like, damn. This guy had a good start to his life, but man, he must have really fallen off the wagon somewhere around 35 because I'm seeing a lot of corn. This guy moved to Iowa. Holy crap. You know, yeah, who knows? Um, But, you know, what I'm getting at is um, it doesn't matter. We're naturally resilient. Um, And epigenetics, you know, what that proved was that your book, you know, we are unwritten. And that's what you do today is going to change your genetics that you pass on and what, you know, goes on, you know, for from here forward. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I was brought up on mac and cheese and hot dogs and a bunch of crappy Pop-Tarts and stuff. Like I was in the middle of the gusher era, you know, every little cheap, sweet corn syrup snack you could get. That's something like a freaking marketing ad, um, you know, was at my table. Um, and I didn't know any better, um, because that's just how my parents were serving it up and uh, nothing against them, but, um, it kind of sucks looking back because, Hey, you know, if I didn't realize that damn, but maybe that was damaging or, you know, the lining of my stomach as a kid was part of the reason why I had such a, you know, weak immune system. And I probably wouldn't have been, you know, in the hospital, you know, a couple times because that was ultimately what the problem might've been, you know, instead of modern medicine yeah, like trying an, to just uh, fix you me are what you stuff. eat type deal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that's, you know, like I spent a lot of time on the road and I was trying to remind myself, it's like, dude, don't, don't buy your lunch at a gas station. Because it's like, if you want to have a garbage body, go ahead and eat some garbage food. But it's tough. It, it is very tough. It's because there's so much um, convenience. The gas stations, you know, they don't make money on something that makes you healthy. Mm-hmm. So good luck finding it, you know. Well, and something I've heard from people that visit America is they don't like that they can't go into a grocery store and get stuff that doesn't have enriched flowers in it. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, bleached, everything wants to be white, shampoos, you know. Well, it's just all that stuff that's just going to immediately turn to sugar once you eat it. Mm -hmm. It's like, regardless of what it is when you put it in your mouth, when your body breaks it down, it's like you just ate a bunch of sugar. And sugar is actually pretty horrific for you. Yeah. And it's the, you know, the sodium and the, they just want to, the bliss point. And that's getting us to that moment where we're just like, oh my gosh, I got to have one more. And Lay's is just, I mean, they gave up their secret, right? Bet you can't have just one more. Or bet you can't have just one, right? Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, because they put a science behind making you 
take another one. And that's because they leave you with just enough to make you say, whew, that was good. But then you're like, oh man, I gotta just have one more. Like I, it just wasn't enough, <laughs> you know? And it's because there's no nutrients in there. You're not gonna find an end. You're gonna crush that bag and still want something else because there's nothing in there your body really was craving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you get to that fight or flight or the, you know, autonomic nervous system. A lot of, you know, what controls our thoughts and stuff, we don't really have a lot of control over. It's our environment and how we react. Um, and so if you don't learn how to take control of that, um, you can, you know, kind of fall victim to a lot of these, um, I don't know, just kind of, I don't know, I see tragedies all the time. You know, you see, look at the, you know, obesity epidemics and stuff, you know, it's known as half the battle. If people really knew, um, you know, what was going on and how to just kind of, you know, safeguard themselves and the signs and that, like I'm saying, it's not over at any moment in time, you can flip the table and, you know, you can do something to dial that back. Um, and so, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's an interesting point in history right now. Um, we're kind of like a walking science experiment. Um, and it's, yeah, the truth will be told here soon. Hope it's not like a zombie apocalypse. Like, <laughs> I'd be, I'd make a kick-ass zombie. I'm just telling you that now. You guys better run fast. <laughs> I know. We got to worry about you fit fuckers getting turned into the Walking Dead. It's and like I got a, a nice shit. machete. <laughs> cardio, cardio, cardio. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so what? What guy have you always been like? I don't know if all my friends, like you hustle the most, you've always got like five different things going on. And I mean, is that some, is that a way that you've just always been? Is that just kind of a learned behavior? Yeah, it was kind of acquired, you know, um, you know, my dad's not Jamaican, but I keep like five jobs a year. Um, he's actually Nicaraguan, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, I would, you know, really kind of put some of that, uh, some of that hustle, um, Definitely from just, you know, kind of realizing that, I don't know, just kind of some of that up, you know, putting some of the hard work up front, you know, and just realizing that I, I have to constantly be moving forward every day. Um, and it, some people work one job for 60 hours a week or, you know, I would rather work, you know, three different jobs. I'm just, I, I've tried to play the attributes and the character that I, I am and not work against that. Some people like me, not that I'm, I'm not truly ADD, but I'd like to think I am just because I need a change of scenery all the time. And in order to kind of, uh, fit, you know, to not break my mold, um, or drive myself crazy. Um, I work, you know, like you said, in a ton of different hats and it kind of all fell into place, um, in weird ways. Um, and I like to think of the laws of attraction, um, and just kind of, you know, you, be positive, live positive, um, and try to just smile and be nice to others. Um, you know, trust me, I still road rage and stuff. I'm not like a little angel. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, good things will happen. Um, and that's just kind of how I, you know, found something, a track, um, you know, in a road that fits me. Um, and that's right now I, yeah, you guys heard something about fireworks. Um, for the last nine years, I've been helped running a firework business, um, in a city called Eagleville or a town, Township, city, something small. Their population's nothing. Um, it's enough that they all get free property tax because there's so many firework sales in the city of Eagleville. Um, it's just past Lamoni um, in Iowa. If you know where Graceland uh, College is, that's where Bruce Jenner um, went to uh, college. Are we supposed to call him Bruce, even though he or, was Bruce when he went there? Well, the the auditorium is named after him, so I thought it would be kind of a 
some people, you know, if they were like, I went to Graceland. Do they, does it use his full name Tanner? just out of curiosity? I don't know. Wow. it's a good question. We should email Graceland College and say, I would just like to know what the gymnasium is called. <laughs> I wonder if the they've gotten trolled court. on yeah, that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they have. Uh, social justice warriors be just frothing at the mouth. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're just ready, just ready to tear you apart because you use the wrong fucking pronoun. Yeah, no, and I, Caitlin uh, Jenner. I mean, uh, I just quick little tangent. Do you yeah. have to deal with that much working in colleges? Is it like, is it pretty nutty? Um, you have to be, and I, I kind of, you know, that was a small, you know, period of time um, that I, you know, really actively worked um, like with the students on a one-on-one basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still close to two years. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, you, you know, always... I don't run into too many young people these days. But just from seeing stuff online, it's like people are really fired up to just jump down your throat yeah. it's like they they're waiting to be an asshole i like to think of it like this everyone has like what do they it's like a pez dispenser with pennies and they're just dying to give you their two cents you know so they're just walking around like making yeah, it that's rain great. with their pennies yeah. you know and they're like oh my gosh someone so commented on you know yeah well, well what i was trying to get at is it's like it's like they want you they want to accuse you of being an asshole but their methods of doing it are way more of a, an asshole than you were in the first place. Yeah, and, and so I it's didn't just mean to say anything about the Bruce Jenner. I'm I'm so like I'm still bad. <laughs> oh no, I'm still no catching I, myself I, about I, the like. I'm yeah, very I've, irreverent. Oh yeah, totally. And like like I take no stance. If, and I'm, I'm if, happy if you want to be gay, straight, trans, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. But the moment that you tell me that I'm not allowed to have an honest opinion on something that doesn't toe the party line, then. <laughs> I'm going to say something horrific just to see if I can make you red in the face. And it, it's not coming from a place of, of me being mean. It's just coming from a place of, I can push that button and watch you have a reaction. It's going to be funny to me because in the end, it's like, come on, I'm not, I'm not dumping sugar in anybody's gas tank. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. That's, you, you, we talked a little bit earlier about the weird turn that we're at at this country right now. Mm-hmm. It's a pendulum mm-hmm. that swings two different ways. And for the last eight years when Obama was in charge and liberal agendas got pushed really far, maybe they got pushed a little bit too far in certain senses. When you're telling people that they can't have an honest opinion on something that, you know, I mean, if somebody goes and gets a sex change, that's a really big change in their life. And I agree that it is rude to you know, maybe make somebody feel bad or whatever about the way that they're claiming that, you know, well, this is who I am on the inside and it's who I, I want that to reflect on the outside. Mm-hmm. But if you start telling people that they can't have a genuine reaction to something, even if that reaction by your opinion is them being an asshole or them being intolerant, you can't tell people that their reactions aren't justified. People need to be, oh, yeah. people need to be able to feel things yeah. and, I don't know. That pendulum just swang so far that way that the people that claim to be on the side of, you know, well, we want to make the world great. Well, why are you being a cunt to people? Yeah. No, How does that make I, the I world great by you being for a this dick? Hypersensitivity too. Of you know, it just social media is a dark place right now. Yeah, it is. And we have a, a rock climbing route called keyboard comfort, <laughs> and man, it just seems to. Um, it really just is telling because it's funny. It was, that was probably, you know, three, three years ago. Yeah. Um, but people man. feel comfortable to just be a total jerk through the anonymity of the internet. And it's like, I try to treat online 
interactions in a way that, you know, I'm speaking to you face to face or I'm typing to you online. I'd like to think that you're going to get the same reaction out of me because I want to be a genuine person. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, some people get online and they're just horrific. Oh, I, yeah, man, we, I was getting ready to tell you about this fireworks store and then that's how horrific it is is because we had to, yeah, it took uh, precedence over the rest of whatever the heck we were getting to. I'm, I feel you. I, I try to. I, mean, I, I think I drug us down a social justice warrior rant road I, there when you brought up something you, about you, you brought up because I tell you what, <laughs> I apologize. Sure it's on the mind of all of us. Um, yeah, you are. You're not alone, and I, I'm with you. I'm with you. But uh, yeah, uh, Eagleville, Missouri. There's a place called Fireworks World. I'm not kidding you. It could be the coolest show on TLC has nothing to do with the fact that I work there, but who it's run by, how it's run, and what they deal with. First of all, it's fireworks, high-powered explosives, artillery shells, mortars, which are the same thing, um, firecrackers, Roman candles. I wish I was, you know, I picture that scene in Joe Dirt when he's like naming off all the types of fireworks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, if I could do that, you guys would have probably been just crying, but I can't. Um, but I will tell you that they have every firework under the sun, um, and uh, it is nuts to think that I've been working there for eight, nine years. And the reason I do that is because it's a lucrative business. Um, you know, from June to July, um, that's this. You know, usually the the stint I consider it. You know, and that's my three, four weeks. You know, a month solid um, of just unloading crates and containers from China and other places. Um, unpacking those fireworks into smaller quantities, stocking shelves, getting price tags on them, um, you know, doing inventory. And that's stuff. usually a lead up to the 4th of July, right? Oh, yeah. Well, even, you know, three weeks before, you know, these truck drivers are coming in, loading up semis. You know, these, you know, people have been coming down for 25 years. The store's been there since 79, or he's been, you know, in the business since like 75 or something like that. Um, and the storefront went up in, in right around 80. And it's been in the same place and the same, you know, for a, you know, for a long time. And uh, so people have some history in this place you know there's people that have been coming down there for seriously you know 25 years and they take a picture with the family and it's like the third generation buying fireworks and now they're you know they save the check the first time they bought the fireworks there just because it was like a you know a big deal so i mean this is kind of a this exit um you can head south to texas you can head straight to you know i mean it's it's kind of in a it's a hub um and in missouri they have the cheapest cigarettes in the United States um, as far as uh, tobacco tax. Um, and so there's all walks of life making it through there for one reason or another. And what's mind-blowing about the firework business is somebody will come in with no shoes, no shirt, in a car that was literally smoking. They will blow $250 in every last penny that they can find on the floor mat underneath the, you know, the steering wheel that's dripping oil. And then go back out to their car and justify blowing all their money on fireworks somehow and putting it up in smoke. Um, and we're happy to sell it to them. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like, oh, man, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, fireworks like, you know, like gambling. The only reason I have fireworks is because, you know, I definitely get a lot better deal than the normal average, you know, Joe off the street. Um, and it is a lot of fun. I was deprived as a kid, definitely didn't get to have fireworks. Otherwise, they had black cats and like the occasional, like partial M80. Like I never knew what they were, but I knew it wasn't an M80. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. Like in, you know, I was one of those states where it's legal for us to have like sparklers and snakes 
I'm glad you started to chuckle because I, I, I can't. Like, I, now I'm serious about it. I'm just like, seriously, you got to get past you. this shit. It, which is really funny. I couldn't tell you the history and I should be able to. But there's basically a fire, a church fire, because of a you know some type of firework back in, I don't know, had it been 19, early 19-something, 1912. I don't know. It could have been later than that. Who knows? Maybe I'm just making this dramatic. But <laughs> there was a church fire in some county or another, and... Um, up until that point, fireworks had actually been legal, uh, to my understanding, and then that changed it all. And so legislation has been that way since, and now it's all run by lobbyists. Um, people in Missouri, in tons of millions of dollars, get pumped into lobbyists to basically keep fireworks from being legal oh, in Iowa. So people in Missouri are paying, paying for it to stay illegal in yes, Iowa because they want Iowa dollars coming to Missouri. tax money. West Des Moines in Des Moines, the capital of Iowa. Is, oh, that's sneaky. They are jumping across the border at 35, you know, um, south um, to go buy fireworks. And the amount, the millions of dollars, I mean, I don't even know how much the business I work for makes um, in just the month I'm there, um, let alone the whole year. So considering there's four other places on one stop, and one's past it, and one's you know further north, and so forth. It's it's a lot of money, and it adds up fast, um, which is unfortunate because man, the freaking roads in Cedar Rapids suck. So if we could get extra tax money and you know from fireworks and put it towards these new roads, um, or you know legalize something like marijuana and start making some real you know money, um, you know that would be you know benefit to school districts and everything. That's going like, to be an interesting on. one moving forward because it's gotten legalized in so many different. Uh, states already yeah well, and then with yeah. how successful it's been in colorado with the amount of tax revenue that it's brought in Oregon's and then the, in washington are way higher well, than colorado the the positive benefits that it's brought in colorado also that drunk driving's gone down violent crime's gone down mm-hmm. pizza sales have risen <laughs> i'd imagine I only say that because that was uh, Peyton Manning owns a share of Papa John's and a ton of a big a large number of chains in in Colorado and his sales have risen and he's the one the one that said that so sorry continue oh that's pretty good <laughs> yeah no and it affects small business well I, that and I just I just think the war on drugs is silly I think it's been a failure and I think it's something that well that should be rectified no. and when you look at the companies or the yeah when you look at the businesses that are spending money like in Arizona. Um, on the recent um, last November, that was the only place it was defeated. The pharmaceutical companies pumped all sorts of money in there to get that to stay illegal. Mm-hmm. And when the pharmaceutical companies are afraid of something, and then they're willing to spend big money to see that it stays illegal, mm-hmm. that just feels it feels sneaky to me. Especially when people are doing time in prison over a fucking plant. It's just ridi- it's ridiculous. I agree. Overpopulation of prisons. And let's, I mean, we got to get over it. There's no way in heck, you know, there's a big difference between a drug. I still laugh because we watch TV all the time in the commercials. You know, you'll hear prolophagus, you know, or prolafix may cause deafness, blindness, or, you know, recurrent bleeding from the ears and i'm just like wait <laughs> what oh yeah the are symptoms you kidding that they me like if i tried to sell people fantastic. a connector and told them that they might you know like be shooting black poop from their bowels not because of the coconut charcoal but because that's just what the product does um i just couldn't i mean i couldn't imagine that that could even be justified but they do it right in front of us and then the commercial's 30 seconds long well, do you remember the one with like it was like four teenage girls walking along in the summertime when they're all looking all happy and like the weird thing about these pharmaceutical commercials too is they don't tell you what the product's for, 
but they all want you to consult your doctor. Am I just supposed to write all these down on a list and go in and just say, hey, doc, I'm easily manipulated by my TV's commercials. Um, are any of these products good for me? <laughs> I saw this but, guy but, and his wife were walking on the beach. It looked awesome. I mean, <laughs> is this for me? Yeah, no. I'm <laughs> but the the one I was referring to, like one of the side products was, or side effects was rectal bleeding or death. <laughs> it's like, <Horrible>. what? <laughs> what? What do you need treated that you're willing to deal with rectal bleeding and or death as a possible side effect? But... Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never heard of rectal bleeding or a possible death as a side effect of marijuana. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, but that's, that's the one that's going to get you locked up. Yeah, not marijuana. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I, I... Sorry, I just wanted to give you... <laughs> Did you say rough porn? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that was a true story. I, filters off, yeah, it was just... Filters off. You said it. I was just giving, you know, I'm a visual person. I got to like think of another way to understand it, you know? And so I was like, oh man, rectal bleeding. Yeah, it sounds like a bad episode on Pornhub or something. <laughs> That's t- I'm totally kidding too. I'm just trying to get the rise out of you guys. Yeah, it's it's working. <laughs> uh, that totally derailed my train of thought. <laughs> it leads me to ask do you have to be 18 to listen to podcasts? Or is like, is there a... Uh, you know, I have no idea. I'd imagine anybody with an iTunes account or Stitcher or something can download a, a podcast. Okay. This one has an explicit rating, which... Okay. Um, well, yeah, so. I'd say we've earned it in this episode. Say, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, well, getting back on track... Um. I know you got a uh, a big trip coming up pretty soon here to the uh, Red River Gorge for climbing. Um, now, anybody who's into rock climbing knows that the Red River Gorge is a fantastic def- uh, destination for climbing in North America. And, you know, it sees people coming from all the way from Europe, flying across the pond, just to go down and pull down on some good old Corbin sandstone. And uh, definitely envious of you that you got a trip coming up there, man. I cannot even begin to explain how excited I am, and it's still probably about a month away. March 3rd, that's a Friday. I've already got it planned. I get done teaching at 1 o'clock. I will be on the road by 2 p.m. Um, with my car packed to the teeth, um, or to the doors, whatever you want to say. And uh, yeah, I'll be shooting through that 10-hour drive with one bathroom break. Um, and I say that cause it's serious. We've got this down to a science. Um, and, uh, the Red River Gorge is like Joe said, I mean, it's like a climbing Mecca of the United States. Um, it's a sport climbing and trad Haven, um, with thousands of routes within like a probably 25, 50 square miles. Um, probably yeah, less than that. Um, yeah, 25 easy square miles. Um, big trip. Um, we will be leading uh, new bolting and development, um, you know, kind of initiatives um, in helping out a, uh, I'll leave it unannounced, but, you know, just a large church and organization that owns nearly 800 plus acres um, and only about 100 and something is actually utilized by the church. And so there's no better way to stimulate, um, you know, uh, uh basically just encourage people to get out and enjoy the rest of the 700 acres that this camp has to offer um, than bringing rock climbing to the surrounding mesa. Um, And just uh, um, there's rock that encompasses this whole property around the, you know, almost the whole exterior, um, including inside. And so 
you know, there's no, no better reason than to hike these trails than to put in these rock climbing, you know, routes and areas, um, and put in some really nice trail work to kind of stimulate that, that foot traffic in the, you know, the growth and the other areas and sectors of this, we consider a park. Um, I mean, it's huge. 800 acres is in that type of, you know, environment in the, the terrain. Um, it's not easy, you know, fighting through their trees. They're called rhododendrons and not one of many. Um, and, uh, they are, a pain in the butt to walk with a pack and try to squeeze through. Um, but, uh, yeah, super excited. Tons of climbing, a big skin donation, um, will be taking place over that 10 days. Um, we'll be, yeah, I'm even leading a, a group of college students from co-college, uh, their rock climbing club, uh, a select few are, um, chosen to actually get to take a trip for the college and they come down, I brought them to the red and kind of shared, um, what someone brought to me about four or five years ago. Oh, sweet. What walls are you going to be taking them to? Um, or what areas? Yeah, we'll be definitely off the grid. So a lot of private climbing areas. Oh, um, lucky kids. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, lucky kids. They'll definitely be hitting Mirror Valley. You know, there's the group. Oh, is, Mirror Valley is so much fun. It's a blast. Yeah. The Webbers, um, uh, yeah, run a, an amazing place. They're the owners of a, a large property similar to this church. And they basically decided to donate their, their time, effort, and land um, into running a uh, climbing, hiking, and just uh, outdoor recreation expedition expedition park um, that really uh, supports, um, yeah, you know, rock climbers especially. Um, and it's just, a, it's just awesome to see what, um, you know, how something like that can evolve into, you know, when you support people's lifestyles, um, like rock climbing and that same demographic of people are super passionate and just excited to, to be there. Um, you get great things. Um, and, uh, yeah, the river of gorge is just a true testament of what, you know, uh, rock climbers can do for an area. Um, there's, uh, millions, I think one or 2 million visitors a year. Um, rock climbers, um, visit the red river gorge. Um, and those, that's a, a big number of people. It's a big boon to that um, that corner of Kentucky's economy mm-hmm. as well. They get a lot of climbing dollars pumped into there. Yeah, and that's what I was, you know, getting to. I mean, it's that's great. Just imagine what we could do, you know, to Iowa um, if we were able to, you know, just to continue to further some of the the reach of our climbing and, and continue to open up new areas that you know we don't even know exist um, to just to show that hey, if you think Iowa has nothing fun to do, um, I was out this morning and you know, 20 degree weather. The people who say that have never been in the driftless zone. Yeah. Yeah. Because the driftless zone, oh my gosh, we have got an incredible amount of limestone bluffs. And the thing about Iowa is 99% of the land here is privately owned. So that is 1% that is managed by the Iowa DNR or, you know, counties and so on and so forth. But, um, so it's really important to try and get those relationships going with private property owners because you never know what the future is going to be. And then with organizations that um, work for gaining further access, like the Iowa Climbers Coalition in Iowa, for instance, um, you know, maybe someday that they could put the money together to, you know, put a lease on the land or something and get more areas opened up for, for people that can, you know, they can go out and, and check out these areas and see a side of Iowa that they've never seen before. And then, you know, if it gets big enough, it'll start to boost the local economy. Especially if you get areas, you know, you get a primitive campground. If you if you have routes to be climbed and you got a place where somebody can pop a tent, you know, climbers will come. If you bolt it, they will come. <laughs> right? And this is Iowa, the field of dreams. Let's not get that wrong. <laughs> yeah, that they will. 
Oh, the bigger, the biggest heartbreaker for me has got to be Lost Canyon. Yeah. Oh man, drooling. I mean, this place has just unbelievable rock, super steep, probably one of the highest concentrations of like really difficult, just, um, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, the rock just looks so difficult to climb and that, you know, you're probably sitting there thinking, gosh, that doesn't sound fun. But for people that climb, the difficult things are what really draw you in because... And climbing is an onion. Yeah. Yep. There's no top end of the grade scale. There's just a current top end. Mm-hmm. Right now they can push it this hard, but then the people that are at that cutting edge are trying to do harder and harder routes. And then, you know, these are the people that also you know, the gear companies will use them as their sponsors. And so people just getting into the sport, see these people climbing these hard routes and they think I want to do that someday. Mm -hmm. And so that's just what keeps pushing the sport further and further forward. And right now, if you look up on a database on Iowa's hardest routes, it tops out in like the five twelves on public land. That's really not that difficult as far as grade ranges and, and climbing go like, you know, that's not a grade that I've touched five twelve grade, but you'll have lots of people in the climbing community tell you that 512 is an every man grade. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if you train hard and, you know, and you've got the fitness to go along with it, mm-hmm. you know, 512 is very attainable. Well, we're talking routes here on public land that could be pushing up into 513, 514. And so that would be a big step forward for the state. Now, unfortunately for climbers, this, pre- this piece of land that we're talking about is owned by the DNR and they're absolutely not willing to let us climb there (laughs) so much that there is a huge, or I I won't say huge, but there's a sign. It's a lot, a lot bigger than some of the other ones that says in all bold, you know, caps, no climbing, repelling. And I swear there's an, or, or top roping or top roping. Yeah. They, 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 they figured out all the nomenclature. (laughs) Yep. It's like no roller, no rollerblading skateboarding. And now in California, you'll even see a sign that says, scooters no scooters oh there's mad scooters it's crazy even at the skate park like back in the day they would have gotten beaten up now it's like the kid's got a razor and he's like hey what's up man you know that's all just (laughs) it's all cool they jive together you know i'm not i'm not hating but Uh, man i mean a scooter's a scooter yeah every time i talk with the dnr representatives i always bring up lost canyon because i I refuse to give up that fight (laughs) but you know beyond that i mean you know iowa's got tremendous potential and I don't know. This place is great. The limestone here is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the time when I tell, especially if I'm talking to other climbers, like the times I've been in the red and I tell people, oh, I'm from Iowa, they're like, well, you got cornfields and it's flat. And it's like, yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends on what part of the state you're in. Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's all of Iowa's climbing. All of a sudden you're like, there's no way we're going to see any climbing. And then all of a sudden you just start dropping and dropping and go on this windy road off of a gravel drive, off of something, and then you pull into some park. And then before you know it, you get close to a river or something, you know, and then you just start seeing these huge, you know, bulletproof limestone bluffs. And it was just, it was a game changer. I was like, hold, well, hold up. The record stopped. And I was like, I don't have to leave Iowa and can climb for probably the next rest of my life and not have to pay twice, you know, what everyone else does for all these big, you know, kind of named states like Colorado and California and Utah and, you know, all these places that are awesome. I'd love to be there because the immense you know, amount of climbing. But if we can get the same thing out of Iowa and I can pay, you know, a lot less and just enjoy the quality of life in other ways, 
I'm all for it. And that's kind of where I'm at, you know, right now. Um, and I, I think a, a good approach for us, you know, moving forward, is going to be end up being in legislation, somehow in policy, um, in supporting the landowners with, you know, some incentive or protection that, you know, keeps them from being liable, or maybe it's already that way, who knows? And it's just raising the awareness. Um, yeah, there's but, a recreation uh, uh, statute in place right now to where, um, I believe it's worded so that if, if a landowner is not collecting money or if they're not advertising, then, you know, they're, they're, they're not liable if something happens. But I also had a landowner once tell me that, that, that me that doesn't protect them from having to go to court. Hmm. So, but I don't know. And really when stuff like that happens, it's insurance companies that's screwing it for everybody. Yeah. Cause it's an insurance company saying, well, we're not going to pay to fix your broken leg. Why you, it's this guy's fault who owns the land. It's like, well, that's kind of rude. Mm-hmm. It's like, I could understand if the landowner came out and cut your rope and made you fall. But, you know, if you're going out and you're carrying specialized gear with you and you're going out and you're climbing rock faces out in the middle of fucking nowhere, I think you've kind of signed your own ticket that you know what you're getting into. And to blame that on a landowner, a landowner when an accident happens, all you're doing is just hurting access. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because it, uh, even if you don't rock climb, you know, it, uh, it affects us all in some way or another. Yeah. We'll look at Pictured Rocks, which is, you know, kind of like the, I don't know, I don't want to call it the premier destination in Iowa, but as far as public areas go, that's the premier destination for sport climbing in Iowa. And the majority of the people I run into out there are just hiking and checking it out. And due to the type of trails that the rock climbers have been putting in lately, we're seeing just everyday hikers further and further out into the park. And it's fantastic. And they're always really thankful for these things. I mean, I remember on the last trail day, we finished building trail and then we went out to survey the work when it was done. And all of a sudden we run into a hiker on this trail that is about 20 minutes old. (laughs) It got found pretty quick. And that guy was stoked. He was happy that that trail was there. He was walking around looking at all these big rock formations and, you know, it was still possible to get out to those areas and see those things before that trail was there. But before we reinforced that trail it was just a deer trail and if you don't got sturdy ankles and you're not quick on your feet you know you can bite the dust hard out there and there's rocks sticking out of the ground everywhere just you no know, trees you know it's treacherous I mean, if you if you if you're an older individual and you take a fall in a, in a you know in a in an area like that you might not be getting back up yeah and and, you know, due to these trails that the climbers are putting in, it's opening these areas up and people are getting to see more, you know. Basically, what I'm getting at is you don't just have to be a climber to to notice the benefits of work that, that the volunteers from the climbing community put into these areas. Not to mention, even if I didn't climb, I would love to watch these people hanging from little ropes like they're wannabe spiders from these crazy cliffs, just waiting for someone to, you know, deck out, as we said earlier in the, in the, in the show. I mean, you know, so even if you don't climb, there's entertainment. Oh yeah. You just wait for that. Mr. 13. And you watch, you watch. (laughs) We're going to take another break here for just a moment. Okay. And we are back. Um, while we were on the break, uh, Alberto was telling me a little bit about his, uh, 3d printer and some of the stuff he's working with here. 
Super exciting time. I'm all about these biocomposites. Um, and about a couple years ago, maybe about a year and a half ago, I found this company in Italy. Um, they're actually called uh, Kinesis or Kinesis. Um, from, I'm not certain exactly how to pronounce it. But what they do is they were actually found a way to create a 3D printable filament um, or a biocomposite that can be used with um, 3D printers. And it's actually made of, uh, of all hemp. Um, and so it's not only natural, um, it biodegradable, you know, you know, plastic replacement. Um, it's actually called HBP, which is short for H or, um, hemp bioplastic plastic. And, uh, when you look at the stats compared to plastic like ABS or PLA, the tensile strength is actually higher. Um, it's, uh, lighter. Um, it's, I mean, it's just incredible. You start to actually compare it with some of these other things. It's super resilient. I mean, it's I, just an all around better, um, you know, material to be using. So it seems so silly. And it's a plastic that's made from a renewable resource. That's not a fossil fuel. Oh yeah. I mean, it just, it gets my goat, you know, totally. And there's filament companies. One's called Proto Pasta. Um, and they make filaments from stuff, um, as crazy as wood, ceramic, stainless steel, carbon fiber, Kevlar, um, you name it, you can 3D print with it right now. They have sterling silver and gold. Um, you can print with gold. That means you could you know, design jewelry. Um, if you design it correctly, you could actually print that. Um, now you, know, you mess up and it's, probably, it's costly. Um, but we're able to 3D print with alloys now. I mean, that is just, we are in the future, folks. I mean, this is, it's getting pretty, um, it's just growing so fast. Um, and these machines are getting smaller. I have one on my desktop. Um, you know, so I could make anything in a six inch by six inch by six inch space. Um, and I could change my Z rod at any point in time. And I could, you know, my Z rod could be 30 inches tall. So I can make something six by six by 30 inches tall, um, by just making one upgrade to my printer. So there's people making, um, you know, ethics, you know, behind 3d printing is even crazy aside from the filaments and all the different materials you can use. Um, people are making guns in their, you know, in their houses, um, with plastic and just designing, you know, 3d files. Um, and that and the law probably hasn't caught up on that yet either. Has it? It walks a fine line, right? We're all entitled to bear arms. Um, and, uh, you can actually, uh, legally 3d print, you know, a firearm. The problem is you cannot manufacture that for sale. So the difference between buying a gun, you can eventually change, you know, have a bill of sale and that can change hands. Well, the minute a 3D printed gun changes hands, you made it, therefore it was manufactured illegally, and now you create a whole world of issues. Um, and now outside of 3D printing, um, there's CNC desktop mills. Um, you know, you don't have to be a CNC machinist as long as you can program it and design it and get it into this um, program. You can take a 90% finished stock for a um, AR 15 and have it milled out. 90% uh, finished means that there's only 10% left that needs to be finished before it's fully ready. What's crazy about that is uh, an unmilled stock is actually. Um, uh, there's, they're not serialized because they're unfinished. It's still just raw aluminum. Well, you can do things like that right now where you can buy like an AK 47 kit and it just does not come with the receiver. So yeah. it's every other piece of the gun with the exception of the receiver. Mm -hmm. And then you can like, I, I know somebody that actually took steel and bent it and added and welded in rails and everything. And they have a functional AK now. It's crazy. And they built it from a kit, and they had to machine the receiver themselves. 
Now, I'm sure the the same rule applies. Like, you can't turn around and sell it. At least I don't think he can, but... Yeah, it's... I don't know. I've fired it. It was fun as hell to fire. <laughs> I bet. I don't blame you. Um, there's, you know, if you guys like watching, you know, um, videos online, check out a Vice episode about 3D printing guns. Um, I saw that a long time ago. Oh, and, yeah. Vice uh, is the best. It is. And the, the kid they interview, his name's, I think, Cody Wilson. Um, he's out of Texas, and he started this company called DefCAD, um, or uh, Defense Distributed. Um, and what's awesome is he basically took it as far as he designed... He went past the you know the stocks and the guns and everything. Um, he created a company, got the license to do it, and then just said, "I just wanted to get a license to prove that I could do it and to show you guys that you know this ethics discussion needs to happen because you know how far do you want me to take this?" And he went as far as you know making high capacity magazines with three D printers right in his own um, you know in his bedroom, um, and then you very last you know scene of that flick you see like this huge double like double you know sided drum with probably 200 and something um you know shells in it that was all made of you know plastic um that was 3d printed and it's just like wake up call you know uh the times are changing um little timmy in his bedroom now you know can be downloading files uh trend you know receiving these files online and could have you know a working replica to something that could do some serious damage um, and it's just interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything, you know, there's always ethics, Even stem cell research is a hot button, you know, item well, that's, right now. that's what I was just going to ask you about is, um, what, what, what's the future on like 3d printing, like a steak or something like that? It's already happening. Yeah. They're, and would you eat one? Oh, hell yeah, I would. And the only reason I say that is because, you know, you gotta, we're, we're the space age, you know, we're the future right now. Cause this is where time's reached. Um, and so I look at it as I'm not excited to eat a 3d printed steak, but I want to, I, I see the future. Actually, it was a year or two ago. Um, uh, the department of defense has like these, uh, an online database of, uh, grants and opportunities to receive funding. Um, and one of those was for, um, additive manufacturing food, um, uh, uh, I forgot what the, you know, what the title of it was basically it was, you know, we want to be able to 3d print food. Um, but the biggest thing is you still have to maintain, you know, kind of those culinary arts and that's textures, which is cool because printers, right. You can raise the temp. So if I want to burn a certain type of filament, um, to get a consistency or the flow rate, um, the thickness of how it prints. You mean, I mean, you, you could like 3d print a steak and even put like grill marks on it and stuff. Oh, hell yeah, man. You can change. I mean, it's, we're getting to that really, really fast. You know, the algorithms are there. There's no limit to what people can do with math. Um, the limitation is just having, you know, all of the, uh, um, the extruders, you know, and how it all, you know, what is the consistency and what is going into it? How is it processed and what's the storage like? Yeah, I mean, there's just so many questions to ask, but we've, the capabilities are there. I think it's just connecting those dots. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I know a lot of people would be really frightened. And we're talking about, you know, job security when we're up against robots and automation. Um, that's not a race we can win. What we need to do is, um, like we we're talking about diversifying our, you know, kind of the, the job market. Well, we need higher skilled technicians to basically learn, you know, different trades to keep up with that type of automation. We just need more programmers. We need more people that are designing and making the equipment to produce more sophisticated, you know, um, distribution systems and food producing, you know, equipment and all this crazy stuff. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool. And that's, you can kind of see where, um, 
I meld like this weird passion for inventing and business and like, you know, sociology and economics. And I don't know, like I, I'm like a mad scientist sometimes at home. And it's just, <laughs> it's awesome. Cause I'm trying to connect these dots. Trust me. I've already thought about that. Could I make a machine to 3d print food, you know, because of, I don't know, just what I know about food and what I know about 3d printers to make something that no one else has thought of. And the answer is no. Um, but there's somebody out there just like that, you know, thinking and answering those same questions. Um, and the government paid out $90 million for that grant that I was talking about. Yeah. And that was a couple year project. So who knows where they are now? Their priority 3d printing food over there in the black, uh, blacklist site over in Nevada. Who knows? I'm just kidding. It wouldn't be that secret. <laughs> that is a weird concept though. Heck yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of getting into, that's some sci-fi shit right I there. I know. Who knows? Maybe they 3d print Trump's hair. Oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know how else you could get it to look, you know, so great. <laughs> you get it to look so great. <laughs> a little sarcasm there. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's a big time of change for America. We've got our first orange president. It's <laughs> <laughs> hey, racially diverse, you know? All I don't colors. know. Um, you know, in, in dipping back into that, period of change and then what we were saying with social media being so insane um i remember when obama first got elected and i was listening to rush limbaugh and he said i hope he fails and like it just struck me as an incredibly weird thought for somebody to say like you if, if by saying i hope the president fails you're saying i hope america fails um now i i didn't vote for trump and some of the decisions that he's been making with in in regards to like the outdoor industry with the possibility of selling off you know public lands to private companies and then you know green lighting the uh the the oil pipelines and stuff i find those sorts of things troubling but i'd never go so far as to say i hope he fails because i thought that that was a colossal statement when it was said against obama and i refuse to be the person that's going to go and say it for the incoming president um Four years from now, I hope that I'm in a position where I've done a 180 degree turn on my opinion on Trump. I hope that four years from now, I'm going to be saying, I want to vote for that guy to be reelected because he did turn things around like what he said. Um, but I don't know. It's hard to be an optimist at times, but that's what I'm really trying to do right now. I agree. Yeah, totally. And if you didn't know this, um, just before um, Obama left office, um, there was a huge break for anyone working in outdoor recreation or for any rock climber, anybody that hikes on a public trail. Um, it's called the, um, I want to call it, say it's the Outdoor Recreation Act. Um, and what it was, was basically the GDP and those numbers, when we talk about, you know, imports and exports of our country, they never took into consideration the amount of money we spend collectively in some, in outdoor recreation. And now it is actually a recognizable part of our GDP. And so when someone like myself wants to say, go to the bank and say, hey, I'd like to start a rock climbing company um, and I need money to buy a, um, a, a laser um, and, uh, you know, a sintering machine and a large, you know, industrial sewing machine to produce my own angle locks. And, uh, they say, well, we need some market research. Well, 
good luck finding a lot of market research for someone in outdoor recreation and the manufacturing of that type of specialty equipment. There is nothing out there. And I've looked and I've actually worked with people that that's what their jobs are is to look for that type of market research. But because it's something that's so niche or that was it just kind of, I would say, you know, kind of pushed to the side because it's what a lot of people consider small news. Rock climbers, they say, make up less or about 2% of the U.S. population. I think it's way off. Um, it's definitely closer to probably 7% or something like that. Um, 2% is like 15 million people or something, probably more than that. It's growing all the time. Um, but yeah, that's if you've a been to Mirror Valley people. on a weekend, you know there's more people. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's just easy. <laughs> yeah. Thank gosh some of us carpool. Um, but uh, it's. Um, that outdoor recreation was huge because now we've got some statistics and some ground to say, Hey, um, we are actually spending, Oh, you know, $80 billion a year on carabiners, uh, the gas it takes to fuel our car on these trips that takes us to all of these national parks. Um, the tent that we sleep in the sleeping bags, that little, you know, coffee roaster to go. So you can do it on the campsite and the cast iron set. I mean, it doesn't matter how you break it down. If it's spent for outdoor recreation, we are now recognized. Um, and that's huge because, um, what were we before? I mean, it was just kind of like a, you know, somebody was taking credit for it somewhere down the line. Um, but now we have the numbers to back it up, um, which just, you know, kind of helping for that sustainable kind of, you know, yeah, climbing's going to be around and hopefully, you know, we just, that was a big move. I don't want to see that, you know, overturned or, you know, go backwards. I don't think they would on something like that, but you never know. Yeah. Him being a money guy, I'm really hoping that he goes with, you know, supporting continuing to support stuff like that but like i said moving forward i'm going to be an optimist and um man man facebook's dark these days <laughs> yeah i'm with you yeah it's seriously um why couldn't memes come out five years from now instead i mean yeah. it's just like they're out of control well um uh earlier this week um re- recording episode two of uh start cast with with my friend jordan i made a comment on if somebody has can come up with a facebook app that blocks out anything political related. They could sell them for a nickel a piece and be a millionaire overnight. Now you being the entrepreneur that you are, <laughs> um, can you get this app going for me? Because I really want it. <laughs> yes. I mean, the answer is yes. Um, believe it or not. Or do you I have... think there's something like that already in the works or is there something like that? that... Oh, there definitely is. I mean, cause I mean, people have got to see a need for that at this point. You know how they say it. There's an app for that. You know, um, yeah, I'm sure there is. There definitely is. We've already got ad blockers um, and, you know, uh, yeah, it directed ads and stuff like that. You know, whatever you search and the criteria you put in on a regular basis, they haunt you with it unless you, you know, clear your cookies and cash of the right things. And um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting topic. Totally forgot what I was talking about there, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> happens sometimes. They used to have this show called Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And uh, yeah, I might have just earned that uh, that nickname for a moment. <laughs> you went all Space Ghost on me? Oh, I totally did. <laughs> At least Zorak didn't pop out or anything. <laughs> we were talking about the app. We were talking about an app that could potentially block political stuff on uh, Facebook oh, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. And just the dark hole that Facebook has become. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when it was just amusing and it was just social justice warriors crying about stuff? Yeah, or all pictures, you know, just like friends and everybody getting so drunk they puked on each other. Or it just came out while I was, you know, coming out of high school so you guys could understand why. That's that's what I saw most of. Oh, I resisted Facebook for a long time. It does seem to be just kind of a giant waste of time. 
I know. And that's usually what I tell people. People are like, oh, Facebook's stupid. And it's like, well, number one, it's great if you went climbing with your friends all day and then they were the one who took pictures and you can see those pictures pretty easily later that night. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, and, exactly. You know, and, you know, it can be good for conversation and stuff too, but wow, right now it just seems to be great for arguing. That's unfortunate, but it is so true. Yep. I'm not a big fan of this, you know, over blabbing on social media. I've tried to take more, take more of a silent, you know, kind of approach and lead by example. Um, I do like social media because of the following and the power you can have to kind of inspire others. Um, my Snapchat and things like that. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy to give people updates and, you know, uh, you know, an inside look. Some people find it, you know, kind of invasive, but I see it as, there's ways to embrace it. And if you're willing to show that stuff, then who the heck cares? And if there's people willing to, you know, kind of tune in and, and see what you have going on, then great. Um, you must have some type of message, you know, that people are interested in hearing. Um, and for me, that platform is kind of climbing this entrepreneurial life and stuff. And so I'll, you know, send people my snaps of, you know, me making my coffee at six something. If I get up early in the morning, I feel great and love showing, you know, telling people because most people are getting drunk on Friday night and waking up late on Saturday. Me, I wake up early to grind and to usually get stuff done. That's like my motivation is to if you're making money while other people are spending it, you're going to you're going to get ahead in life quick. You know, it's all those like little small lessons. I have a quote behind me on this board that says um most people hit the wall, I climb it. Um and it's just a cool way to just kind of, you know, you just got to find ways to kind of, you know, get to get past it. You got to move through it. Um and the other one is never easy, always better always easy, never better. And it's like, if you're not going to go against the grain, then you're not going to, you're not going to change. You're not going to get much stronger. You know, if you just kind of go with the flow, don't expect a lot of, you know, things to change and stuff like that, you know? So just kind of like you, you know, being optimistic, coming full circle with this, you know, politics stuff. Um, heck yeah. Um, we're going against the grain right now and I hope it, you know, it changes for the better. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm optimistic too, that, um, just because, I don't want to see it go any other way, um, but hopefully it uh, hopefully it does. To answer your question, though, I think I could make that app or at least employ the right people to get it done. <laughs> Didn't want to leave that open ended, you know. Yeah, I would really like to see that. <laughs> at least until people tend to grow up a little bit more. There is this thing called unfollow. I don't want to unfollow people though, just because they have a you know. I want to respect people's opinions, but I just don't want like every single thing I flip past to be something that's just going to bum me out. Yeah. I come from there, you know, I've had Facebook for 13 years, maybe, or something like that, or, uh, no. Has it been that long? I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, since I was probably 17 years old. So, you know, nine years, um, I've got a shit ton of friends. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> so I can unfollow a few. I don't feel too bad or missed, you know, there's a point where I'm like, man, I wonder if that, I haven't seen Jeremy, you know, I'll search somebody and oh, he's still alive. Unfollow, you know, right back to where it was. <laughs> Cold world. <laughs> okay. Uh, switching gears a little bit here. Um, where do you see the future of Climb Lab going from, from here? I see the future of Climb Lab moving in in a ton of different directions. Uh, part of the reason why I have so many different products um, and ideas is because um, if one fails, I want to know that I have a backup plan. 
Um, so the cool thing about having a rock climbing product and industrial safety product and a cosmetic is they're all in three different arenas. So if I get shut out of two, but one makes it, um, then the, you know, the business will continue on. Um, right now I feel like I'm really missing, uh, the curve. I'm just kind of, I'm missing the boat on some of the app development. Um, right now there's a surge of wearable devices, um, that I feel with the right, you know, um, team in climb lab and some of the ideas that I have, um, you know, with tracking elevation movement, um, drones, capturing footage, um, there's just a lot of, um, elements to the capturing of that photography, the movement, you know, some of the things we're doing, um, knowledge is power. Um, so if we could basically track some of the analytics while climbing and base that, you know, between heart rate, um, some of the sports science behind it, um, how much you weigh the morning when you went into it, the water you're hydrating with your heart rate in this crux or, you know, who knows? I mean, all this stuff could be put into something. I just see opportunity in wearable devices, um, glasses, um, I've been thinking of this really cool idea. Hopefully somebody steals it from me. Just let me download the app for free. Um, and it's not even an app. It's just a suppository of uh, a 360 view. You I'm know, glad VR. you didn't stop at suppository. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> I'm not fine. trying to well, can, really it, can it stop at suppository? <laughs> wink, wink. Right? It should be, should be moving after that. Um, but uh, um, damn, you, you got me. <laughs> I'm like totally derailed yeah, you. Derailed, yeah. Future Climb Lab, I'm sorry. Yeah, Future of Climb Lab, um, the wearable devices I was getting into. Oh, basically creating a library of, you know, virtual reality has me just, I am giddy about the future of it. I haven't even had one of those pair of glasses on, but I know what's behind them. And I know that um, I've tried on the Oculus. Um, if you've ever had the Oculus first-person view. Oh, I haven't tried um, it yet. What'd first you think? First-person view. I, Besides the latency um, of whatever was sending the, you know, the stream, um, that little millisecond, we're such fast, you know, processors in our, naturally um, that you pick up on that latency really quick. Besides that, it was very, um, it made me feel kind of trippy. I mean, I was, had an out of body experience and I was, what I was doing was driving a remote control car and it had cameras inside of it. And so I was driving this car facing a different direction, but I knew the car was facing backwards of me so when i took a left it was actually like i was taking it you know that's kind of stuff starts to really you're you're operating like a different mind i don't know it's it was really interesting and i see the power in that kind of stuff um and also some opportunity um and so the future of climb lab um i've always been enthralled by the tech industry app development um and uh just being there's power in being able to download something and spend money with one touch of a button that's big for business. Um, it's big opportunity. Um, and it's big fun. You know, that road to get there is, is what it's all about. So, you know, so right now, even though, you know, climb laps, <laughs> we're not making a ton of money, um, by any means, but this is, you know, looking back, probably going to want, I'm going to say, man, this was fun. You know, when I was doing a freaking podcast out of a, you know, rinky dink office at an apartment in you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, for a climb lot was ever anything, you know, even on someone's radar. Um, it'll be just kind of, you know, it's a, it's a road to get there, you know, not where you're going. Um, and so I'm just trying to write it out, but, um, the future could bring a lot of stuff. I've got four other products, you know, that went unmentioned today, um, that could very well go on to be the next angle lock climb saver connector. Um, and so just constantly, you know, taking problems, what someone smart, my uncle, um, told me was that it's not about, 
you know, who thought of it first. It's who makes it the best, you know, or just, you just got to be the best at what you do. Um, and for me, that's just, uh, um, you know, doing the best I can to kind of bridge the gap between the innovation and the engineering and some of the people behind these products, you know, stuff should not be, um, you know, standing still. Um, we have to constantly be pushing, um, the envelope of some of these new innovations and some of this new, you know, new metals and, and, you know, stuff. I'm just always thinking, how can I apply that? How can that, you know, use that to adapt what we already have to create something better or to save lives or, you know, I, I don't know. I always want to do it for, you know, the greater good is, um, kind of the unknown and the, um, it's just whew, supporting life at elevation, you know, is what climb lab is, is focused on doing. And I can do that through a means of different, you know, kind of, uh, um, avenues and ways and, you know, products. Um, it's just, uh, getting those out there, um, is right now, you know, kind of the future is, uh, distribution channels and figuring out how I can reach my target audience and markets um, with three completely different crazy you know products. It's hard to have one message um, when you're trying to you know to try to connect with so many different people in so many different arenas. Um, but once you know I'm kind of finding that way, um, finding that message um, and just uh, you know even opportunities like this to help people understand you know my thinking and what I'm trying to accomplish um, with Climb Lab. Um, is, uh, is the, you know, the spread, you know, that I need. So heck yeah, it's an exciting time, but very uncertain. Um, but one thing is for certain, and that's, you know, like I said, one of these, you know, will hopefully, um, if not all, you know, will someday be a flagship product um, for the company and to, uh, grow on to be bigger and better things. That's awesome, man. I really, really, truly wish you the best of luck with it. And I think you're going to succeed. I mean, you got, you got the drive pushing you there. So it definitely won't be for lack of effort. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and I really appreciate you sitting down with me today and uh, taking time out of your insanely busy schedule to uh, to talk about all this, man. It was great. Likewise, the perks of working from home. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, the pleasure is all mine. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Alberto. And uh, until next time. Sweet. All right, that was some pretty good stuff. Um, wow, that guy keeps busy. <laughs> and uh, that stuff with the 3D printing was really cool. I really think we're going to see a big future in that someday. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those comes standard in a house like a microwave or something someday. You know, if you got any questions about any of the stuff that you heard today, or comments, or, you know, you just want to send me an email at uh, starkcastpod at gmail.com that's all one word startcastpod at gmail.com and uh, send send an email I'll read it on the show and uh, you know if you got a question I'll address it or you can find me on my Facebook page at startcast that's all one word that's S-T-A-R-K-C-A-S-T and if you liked what you heard on the show today why don't you hop on iTunes and leave me a review and a rating that really helps out the show And until next time, this has been StarkCast.